Well, good morning. Uh, hi, everybody. Welcome uh, to the Pacific Ballroom. Um, and we, thank there's you. There's going to be a dance involved. In yeah. We have yeah. live orchestra. We are using mics specifically because uh, this is being recorded um, for all time. Um, so no pressure on your audience reactions. Uh, but this is very informal. Uh, just so uh, you know, especially if you're only here for the day or whatever, uh, this, the conference is well known for dropping in to, uh, to panels you, you'd want to see. So if you find this is not for you uh, totally cool, feel free to leave and we will not be offended. Trey, not you, you have to stay, no matter what. Okay, uh, so here's who we are uh, and, and what this is. This is the agent-author relationship and the ins and outs of traditional publishing. Uh, and I also like to call it when the dream comes true, how to hit the ground running when someone wants to buy and sell your writing. Uh, this is Eric Myers. Eric, would you like to do your own Introduce buy? myself? Please do. Yes, I am, I am the proud agent of this guy. And um, we uh, met here, well, that's, that comes a little later. Yeah, so I'm supposed to introduce myself, uh, which is that basically uh, I've been a literary agent for 20 years. Uh, first uh, worked for the Spieler Agency, I'm New York based, uh, and then was with uh, Distal Goddard and Barrett, and then I started my own agency in 2017, Myers Literary Management. Um, I um, am soon to retire, however, I will be it's a kind of a semi-retirement because I'll be hanging on to key clients like this guy, clients whom I love, clients whom I have a long-term relationship with, who are successful and I, and whom I would never want to part with. So um, I, uh, I, will, uh, I will not be taking on new clients. Um, I did not participate in the pitching, in the pitch fest while I was here, but I'm here to offer all kinds of advice and answer any kinds of questions and uh, just talk about the business. That means, uh, well, I probably have more questions, but we'll get into those too. Um, and I'm Norm Thoming. Uh, I also write under the pen name August Norman. Uh, I write crime thrillers, uh, as well as domestic psychological suspense, um, and uh, other things, but mostly that's what my career has been so far. I have two traditionally published novels, and uh, am hoping for more. Um, I've been coming to the Santa Barbara Writers Conference since 2011, uh, which is where I, I first came and thought I'd do some agent pitches and, um, and uh, realized I was not ready. Uh, and it wasn't until 2016, which we'll get into, I, I guess we'll get right into that, um, which is when, when I met Eric. Um, but uh, besides that, I have a background in uh, screenwriting and, uh, and the rejection that comes with that, uh, which eventually led me to novelize something I had, I had written um, Good morning, welcome. If you're here for us, sit on down. If you're going to memoir, the door's through over there. Okay, yeah, just in case. Yeah. Awkward. Yeah. Not at all, enjoy. <laughs> this is part of the fun. Again, it's a very supportive uh, conference if you haven't found that yet. Um, but obviously the key to a conference like this is uh, relationships, is getting to know, introducing yourself to people. Obviously for writers, uh, that tends to be a, a difficult process. Um, a lot of us are introverts. Uh, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> but um, but um, a lot of us are introverts. And, uh, and putting yourself out there, especially the business part of this, of when, when you think you're ready, uh, is, a, is a huge deal. And obviously, we know from, uh, how many of you attended the agents uh, panel yesterday? Okay. 
So most, and then how many uh, actually met with agents yesterday? Okay, okay, great. Um, so that's obviously a huge part of this. Uh, that's why some people come to the conference in the first place. Um, and it's terrifying. Uh, it's terrifying because it feels like a personal rejection. Uh, you're putting your work out there and you're seeing it as, this is my chance. Well, I'm here to tell you there are thousands of chances um, and it's not a personal rejection unless you are the, a Nazi. Like it, it is not, unless you are a hate-filled, horrible person, it is not a personal rejection. Um, and we're gonna talk about that. Yes. We are gonna talk about... Um, it's often a question of whether an agent feels that they would be the right person to handle your particular work or your genre. You know, we wanna do the best job we can. And there's certain areas that many of us specialize in and other areas that we don't go near because we know we wouldn't be good at that. Yeah, but we don't know that as, as writers. We, we think, you know, at least we're not told that, you know. Even, I, I, you know, even in the literature, it's like, hey, we have agent pitch sessions. Like, I, you know, I, I'm married to a therapist, so part of me thinks there should be a very nice, like, wording of like, hey, just so you know, think of this as an opportunity to learn about the industry. And yes, you may meet someone who pit, wants to pitch your work and take it on further, or you might just meet an opportunity to literally learn more about this crazy insular world. Um, if I can interject, that's something that, that, that Grace asked me to do this year, since I would not be taking pitches this year. She said, why don't you, during pitch day, hang out in the green room where people are waiting and in some cases very, uh, you know, nervous, concerned, et cetera, about this, and you can just sort of be there as a counselor and, and, and help them prep for this and you know, maybe listen to a bit of their pitch and tell them, how, you know, what needs shaping and molding and... Just, you know, and I, and I think that was a nice idea on Grace's part. I think that worked out well. Um, and just as an overview, so we're gonna kind of, uh, we're gonna cover a bunch of stuff today. Um, so a lot of it will be, first, the agent-author relationship, how Eric finds clients, um, how, that, how those uh, relationships build over time, um, what authors should look for in agents when they are hunting for agents. We're not gonna cover uh, queries specifically. Uh, and if you are here to work on a query letter, I can highly recommend Trey Dowell's query workshop tomorrow at one o'clock. Um, you can bring, bring your query, your synopsis, and, um, and he will definitely uh, read and they'll break apart several queries. So if you are willing to do that, I, I highly recommend doing that. Um, Trey Dowell here is a published author and a good friend who I've met here in 2011, and uh, we will be reaching out to him for some, some stuff throughout this. Uh, but we'll take a break in the middle, and then after we uh, take our break, we will, uh, we will barrel ahead and talk about basically what happens when, you submit, when, when Eric submits the book to traditional publishers. And that'll go from the, submit, the submission process and um, you know, rejections and, and that kind of process, but and then also what happens when someone says yes, what contracts uh, look like, what the negotiations for that are like, um, things to worry about in contracts, and then literally what the author should be doing once you sign a contract, what happens to what expect to from the editors as far as like what you need to give them and what your deadlines are and what you should be doing in the meantime. Um, pen names, since I have one. Uh, titles of books, all of that kind of stuff that you didn't necessarily think of until you had to. Like, because first you're just like, I just want this to happen. Um, so that's, what, that's, that's the overview. Um, and obviously we'll take questions throughout. So, but right now we're gonna talk about how we specifically met. Um, so in, I had, as I mentioned before, I had um, done pitch sessions in 2011 and, um, 
And I really thought I was ready because I came from Hollywood and, uh, you know, I'd written my first novel and, um, and uh, I, did, I did my pitch sessions and just had the worst day. You know, like, it's a horrible feeling. Uh, you're like, oh, I met with like five people and nobody asked for it. They were all very polite and lovely, but you know, your soul's broken. Um, be, which again, because you don't, you know, everyone now is like, just remember you don't know what's going on in someone else's life. Um, that's that part of the lesson of all of this is just remember everybody has this job and you know everyone's job is not necessarily making your dream come true like it's it's your job specifically to handle your dream but anyway uh, I'll get into that more as well but um, but everybody else is just a, has a paycheck and a job and pets to go home to and children and bills to pay and all of that stuff and they have illnesses and they have you know uncomfortable job does it you know like there's all kinds of stuff everyone's working on so again if I can't stress things enough it's that it's be realistic about the business of writing um, so time went on and I kept working my stuff I did end up with an agent um, and uh, through a friend a referral of a friend Robin Winters was here and she liked some of my stuff and pirates and again the connections you make with other writers are like in any industry, it is a little bit of who you know and who will champion you. Um, this sort of place is very good. So again, introduce yourself to as many people, get contact information. Uh, you know, if, if you don't mind giving out, make friends. <laughs> make friends, keep friendships. Um, and I did, I had a, a first editor uh, who was an amazing, a first agent who was, who was very good at editing and taught me a great deal about self-editing, um, meaning, get your stuff to the point where when you show it to someone, it's almost there, or 99% there. So that went on, I went through a divorce, uh, and then I parted ways with that agent. Uh, and then somewhere around 2016, I came back to the conference and I signed up for the agent pitch sessions and uh, Eric was one of them. And uh, I will say before these pitch sessions, I knew several things, which again, I'll kind of cover, but reiterate. Um, I researched everybody pretty heavily. And that doesn't necessarily mean just check out their bios. Like at that time I went, and Eric was actually already on my list of agents I wanted to pitch to. So it was great that he was at the conference. So anyway, um, then we did the thing, we met with everybody, had a good meeting. But the thing too, part of reading out, is that I got, uh, oh, I got the first I five pages. Oh, well, here we go. I, what you're leaving out I think is the fact that I got the first five pages of your manuscript first, was able to read that, and, and realized, wow, this guy's a real writer. I'm looking forward to meeting him. Yeah. yeah, and so then we did have the meeting, and I believe you requested 50, or maybe the full, I don't remember. I think I, request, I requested the full at that point. Okay, well that's yeah. always wonderful. If someone requests your full manuscript, that's a, that's a very nice thing. Um, so, uh, because again, they're gonna read 80,000 words of your work, or somewhere, you know, 70 to 90, depending on the genre, or 120. Yes, Tyler. print out the whole thing, or do you give it to them on it? No, uh, so basically they would just say, email me your okay. a word document. Attachment, okay. document, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, in the old days, everything was on paper. and right, right. was out of waste, yeah. And I'm not gonna say that this took us over the edge, but um, some friends were going for tacos uh, after the agent and cheese party. And I, I asked Eric to just go, like, hey, do you like, you like tacos? You know, that kind of thing. And, and we went on that. So I, again, can't stress the importance enough of being people first, of, uh, and seeing other people in the industry as also people first rather than people to pitch to. 
you know, um, because if an agent meets someone they love, love and is a good writer, but they can't represent their stuff, they know other agents who also are looking for clients. It, it, you know, just like any other industry in the world, anybody who's in sales should understand that it's relationships that make. All right, so where are we now? Okay, so where, where are we now in yes. terms of, of the, the, the evolution of our, uh, our partner, in terms of the evolution of our partnership? Yes, indeed. Okay, um, where are we now? Uh, so I took out the first, the, that manuscript yeah. to send, it, which was excellent, didn't find the takers we were hoping for, and at that point, Norm was already writing another manuscript that was oddly related because it dealt with a character who was kind of a supporting character who came in late to the first manuscript, mm -hmm. and you turned her into the central character of this novel. And that is the novel that sold, and, and, and also sold with a sequel. It was a two-book deal. Yeah, two and, and let, me, let me jump in on that. Um, that's something I think we, we could all hear. Um, that first manuscript I worked on for a decade, and I thought it was great, and, but like looking back now, I, I can see the market for that was rather full because I wanted to write a, I wanted to write a Michael Connolly book. Uh, you know, I wanted to very much write in a very saturated market, um, and I didn't have any unique credentials to bring to that. Um, anyway, I, I think yeah, I just but it was a good manuscript. Thank you. It really was. Uh, you know. Thank you, and it still is. But yeah. I think one of the things that um, Hollywood uh, instilled in me that maybe not everyone gets is that it's okay to let go of things. It's okay to let go of things that you've poured your heart into for 10 years uh, if, it, if, it's not, um, if it's not the thing. Meaning, my advice would be don't spend your whole life trying to sell the one book. Right, right. Um, Writing is a craft and it takes years to develop. You know, it's, it, it's very rare that someone's first novel is terrific right out of the gate. This is a craft that takes time to work on and to really refine. And then that said, the book that sold, the one I was working on, uh, I wrote in two years. Yeah. And then once I had the deal for the, the second book in the series, I wrote that one in six months. Um, now I tend to write the, the, the book, the manuscript my wife and I wrote throughout the pandemic took about a year. Um, and there was a pandemic and some, several children in there. Um, so you get better and you get faster. Um, you get better and you get faster. A lot of that has to do with people saying yes. Uh, the confidence that comes from someone saying yes um, just makes you <laughs> makes you believe in yourself a little more, or at least myself. Again, all of this is subjective, by the way. I just I do want to stress that our experience is unique. Um, we're going to try to do general rules and, and everything, yeah. but I think it's important we remember that you know no two snowflakes are the same, no two book deals are the same. Yeah. All right, so that's where we are now. And no, no agent editor and no I'm sorry, no agent author relationship and no author-editor relationship is the same. Yes, and also, this is about traditional publishing. Uh, there's nothing against indie or self-publishing, but some of those rules may not apply to this at all, so we may not be able to answer any questions about uh, independent or self-publishing, or indie publishing or self-publishing. Um, and we are not against that at all, but we may not be the people for that. Right. Okay, and also where we are now is, uh, I currently have a manuscript on submission. Uh, if you don't know what on submission means, it simply means that Eric has approached uh, acquiring editors. So when we hear the word editor at a publishing house, that generally means an acquiring editor. Acquiring editors are people who buy the books. Um, 
That is, they might do a developmental edit once they buy it. Uh, they might give you notes, that kind of thing, but their job is to buy books um, for a senior editor with a board of people. Um, so we, I have a book on submission, right, or manuscript on submission right now. The, the, the acquiring editor cannot make the decision themselves as to whether to acquire the book. They have to bring it to their board, their ed editorial board, and their marketing board. They have to pass both of those severe tests. Yeah, yeah. And many's the time that I've had an acquiring editor that loved the book but didn't get it past those boards. Wow. And we'll talk about, oh yeah, Christine. I've heard this a lot. How big are those boards? I'm just curious. It can vary, I'm sure, and as an agent, I'm never in those meetings. They are behind the iron walls of the publishers. Uh, but uh, you know, my guess is that they're probably 10 or 12 average. It can vary according to publisher. For the contract I had with Crooked Lane Books, which is a medium-sized publisher, does about 120 books a year. Um, well, actually, now they have another imprint, so they do more. But um, I would say it's five people. Possibly, based on, on, on what? The people, the people we've met, yeah. Uh, oh, based on, it's gotta be Matt, and then two or three permanent employees who are editors, and then maybe marketing. Like, it's a smaller company. Yeah, that's a small, yeah, that's, that's and true. And they all read your entire book? No. The whole manuscript, the whole? They, they listen to the acquiring editor's oh, pitch. Okay. Okay. And then they may, acquiring editors may share with other acquiring editors or the assistants. Yeah. Everybody's got a lot of assistants and a lot of interns right. and there's a lot of turnover of those people. Um, okay, and we will get to that now. We will get to that later. But right now we'll look for what do agents look in authors? Uh, Eric, how do you generally find your clients? Uh, one way is through referrals from either other clients or possibly friends. Um, that's always a very good way. And uh, I also do pay a lot of attention to what comes in over the transom. The, the slush pile. Um, I have found some terrific clients that way. Uh, and uh, then, you know, conferences are great. Great places to, to meet people and, uh, and to meet them face to face. And of course, in Norman's case, you know, yes, his writing speaks for itself. But when I met Norman here at the conference, I also saw that he was someone that presents himself well and could promote his book well personally when the time came. And, uh, and to me, that's an important consideration. Publicity, marketing, the author themselves. If you're a scared, rabbity author who's not going to be good in interviews, I might be less inclined to take you on. You know, because because uh, that's a big part of the process, too. The good thing is um, writers tend to be able to talk at least about their writing. Like, even if they're introspective, you know, once someone says yes, you can have that confidence. They're like, people like me. Uh, so, so it does help. And so if you're feeling like you're not great in public, there are ways to be good at it. Um, so so you uh, obviously other agents, uh, as we learned from the panel last night, some do like manuscriptwishlist.com or mswishlist.com or the hashtag MSWL if Twitter still exists. Yeah. Uh, that stuff's always changing. Um, the best way, uh, what about Publishers Weekly? Marketplace, I'm sorry, Publishers, uh, Publishers Marketplace? Well, that's not really where you find new clients so much, that's no, where a lot of fields are announced. Yeah, yeah, that, I, I wouldn't go to that to look for new clients. But every agent um, has uh, websites, um, so we'll yeah. get into that. But um, okay, so when you get queries, uh, they tend to come in via email if they're not something like this, right? Yeah, they're usually via email. They're, 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 my my um, 
email address is on my website. And it's also at other sites like agentquery.com, Publishers Marketplace, et cetera, so people can find me. And they do come that way. Sometimes <laughs> I will get ma a traditional mail, and sometimes it's handwritten, you know, and, and you realize it's probably someone very old who doesn't really know how to type, how to use a computer. Um, and, uh, but uh, the, the occasionally I will get a regular mail submission because there's a high illustrative content to the book. And so they want to give, it a, give a sense of that, too. And you know, that can, of course, be done with a traditional email submission, too. But it sometimes has a little more presence and effect when it's on the printed page. Yeah, and that should be stated that Eric has represented both nonfiction and fiction, and as well as well, an author himself. Yeah, yeah, I wrote two books myself back in the, uh, I, I collaborated on two books back in the 80s, and wrote a book myself uh, that was published in 2000. All three of these books were published by St. Martin's Press. And uh, so um, I had a sense of the publishing industry and the fact that it attracted me, and that was around the time when I decided I wanted to come into it as an agent. So at least he he knows the other side of it too, and that's it, it's always nice when looking for an agent to kind of understand that they know where you're coming from. And I should say also, I remember that Eric grew up in Los Angeles, and of course my first book was about Los Angeles, yeah. and that helped. And he was looking for thrillers and uh, and mystery. Well, not necessarily mystery. Thriller, thrillers, thrillers, thrillers. Yeah, yeah. and this uh, is a terrific LA noir. Yeah, um, and I remember actually one of the conversations we had. Um, where it's like, well, I'm getting notes, or like I, I read the manuscript and it's actually a, a mix. It's a, it's a mystery, it's, half of it's a mystery and half of it's a thriller. Um, which one do you want it to be? And, uh, uh, like, I'm like, well, which uh, would be better? And he's like, I represent thrillers. I'm like, then it's a thriller. <laughs> I will make some rewrites. And of course, that's one of those things that maybe you don't know yet is the, the, the stratas of your, of your genre. Like, what is the difference between a thriller and a mystery? And obviously, this is covering all genres, so we won't get into that. But if you have those questions, A, look them up on Google, but also B, that's the kind of stuff authors need to understand. They need to know where their book sits on a shelf, who is writing com uh, things similar. You know, every once in a while you'll meet somebody who's like, I'm writing something that's never been done before. And you're like, well, okay, but you're a dick. Like, um, <laughs> Like, it has been done before, or something that can be compared to, you know? You're not inventing math. And publishers and booksellers want, and basically need, to categorize. They need to know what genre your book falls into, otherwise they won't know how to promote it or where to put it on the shelf or anything. So, you know, we may not love these categories, those of us who you know, are open enough to things that, 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 that are on the Venn diagram where, where several categories meet. But um, unfortunately, it's something we have to deal with in the business. Uh, that leads me to um, what stops you in a query. Um, obviously, queries, uh, again, will be covered in Trey Dowell's workshop tomorrow at 1. He's very good at that. Um, I'm going to it. Never, never. Are you afraid too many people will be there? It's a very important thing. Um, but OK, so like length or editing, what sort of um, things strike you as amateurish? Uh, amateur, amateurish, well, the, the first thing that any agent will tell you is when they get a query that's addressed, dear agent, yeah, it shows that you've not done your research. So uh, we do appreciate a query that opens addressing us directly and that, uh, that you know, may show that they, that they have looked into us and 
you know, why they are coming to us in particular. You know, they may mention another uh, book that we represented, something of that nature. I'm not saying it has to be that way, but it's nice. It's nice if it starts off like that. Um, and uh, I'm a big stickler for grammar and punctuation. I'm a real school marm when it comes to that. So if your query letter is full of a lot of mistakes like that, it's going to put me off right away. It means that, that you're probably not ready for prime time as a writer and that you're going to need someone who's going to be able to really take a very strong editorial hand that I may not have time to offer for free. And on that note, um, you can get better at grammar, or you did, these days you can get a plug-in. You, know, you don't trust yourself, get Grammarly. Yeah. You know, it's an email plug-in or a browser plug-in, or you can add it to Word, and it literally will you know, go through your thing like, mm, this might not be right. You know, it's kind of like words, suggestions. You can ignore them if you want, but my wife uses it all the time, and it, it helps her a great deal in writing yeah. professional emails. So. Grammarly. Grammarly. Grammarly.com. It's a made up name. Grammar plus LY at the end. Grammarly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, <laughs> know your weaknesses. That's part of this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, again, a, 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 a one, it should be no more than one page. Single space is okay, but no more than one page. And uh, give me a sense, if possible, of, of yourself and why you're the right person to write this book and what you can bring to it and what you can bring to the marketing of the book. If you have specific contact, contacts uh, in, in, in the areas that the book covers, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, uh, any, any contacts you have, um, organizations that you belong to that can help promote the book, et cetera, that's always good to know. And uh, in my case, uh, since I was writing fiction and I was writing crime fiction, I, and I don't have a background as a police officer and I was not, you know, uh, and I was also not a journalist, I was almost a journalist, and occasionally still almost am a journalist, but, um, but my characters were a police officer and a journalist, so that was not something I had. Uh, so I said I was a regular attendee of the Santa Barbara Writers Conference, uh, and, and an actor um, and a screenwriter, who, you know, and, and you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So just a little bit about my life uh, and an improvising comedian or something, I'm sure is what I said. Um, because so if you don't have that, you don't have to, make that up, you, then you can then just give a little bit more of a sense of like, listen, I just love mysteries, you know? <laughs> I wrote a mystery, I'm not qualified to write a mystery, I, wrote, I love mysteries. That's also uh, good. Um, you had mentioned, um, oh, what about um, word count and uh, genres? Well, let's face it, the average novel these days, pretty much regardless of genre, comes in under 100,000 words, maybe 80 to 90,000. Uh, there are exceptions, we all know, you know, Jonathan Franzen or whatever. Uh, but, but that's about the length these days. So you should include the word count in your query letter, and ideally, it should not be over 100,000 words. If it's over 100,000 words, it gives me the sense that, well, this is someone who needs an editor, who hasn't learned how to cut things down and tell a story, be it, be it nonfiction or fiction, precisely. And also, uh, on that note, um, we're saying word count. Um, we're not saying pages. Yeah. So a lot of authors yeah. are like, well, it's 400 pages. And we're like, I don't know what font you use. I don't know if you format it correctly. I don't know if you mean on Kindle. Uh, pages mean nothing in, in the industry uh, until they print hardcover. Yeah, it's, it's, it's right in, in uh, Word. You, know, if you, if there's a, you can get the word count right in Word. Yeah, Word, Scrivener, they all, uh, any writing tool you have, any word processor, Google Docs, 
you can, there's a, there's a function that allows you to estimate word count. Uh, so you can just use that. And this How many words was Come and Get Me? Come and Get Me's uh, initial draft that I submitted to Eric, uh, or at least my first draft. Well, well, you mean the one I showed someone? No, yeah, which one did you show me? Uh, the first one I showed you was around uh, seven, 79,000, yeah. uh, to which someone, uh, the publisher ended up saying, we can get that around 86,000. Like, like they wanted more, which was lovely. Um, they, they even had suggestions on that. But so that's, so word count's important, and then I think, I think genre would be important. Uh, I mean in the query letter? Yes. Yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah, we need to know that up front. And, and again, genres are slippery. Man, did everybody yesterday say upmarket before they said something else? <laughs> and we, I literally at the, at the pool party, I'm like, Eric, what's upmarket mean? And Eric got out his phone and Googled it because it's sort of a buzzword, but it also probably means it's book club friendly. It's, you're not gonna offend too many people. Like the masses can read it at a somewhat elevated level and talk about it and enjoy it. It's, it's not real F-word heavy. You're not going to terrify someone, and generally it will do well in a book club. Yeah, yeah. It can, it can be easily discussed. It's a, so, someone said it's, it, 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 it's uh, like a, a, somewhere between literary fiction and, and genre, I guess is one way to say it. <laughs> yeah, up, up yeah. yeah if it's genre fiction, then it leads towards literary. Yeah. But not too literary. Not, not uh, this, you know, who can say, ultimately? <laughs> this, is such a, this is a term that I just hate using upmarket because it's just so ill-defined, you know? Uh, but what is important... It does sound like it means classy. Yeah, it sounds like it means classy. Real classy stuff. Exactly. So the terms you should be looking for are if you're writing a thriller, you don't call it a thriller mystery. You call it a thriller. If you're writing a mystery, there's a mystery. If you're writing a, no a suspense novel, they all, and obviously this is what I speak to because this is the genres that I find myself in. I'm like, oh, okay. You can have a mystery inside a thriller and you can have a thriller inside a mystery, but you'd have to know which one it is. Um, and then when you do that in your query, you should pick some comp titles, meaning comparative or competitive titles. People say comp titles, so again, you hear these buzzwords, if you don't know what they mean, just ask. There's no shame in that at all, because again, sometimes they mean nothing. Um, but comp titles means uh, comparative titles currently, I mean, if you want to say you write like Dennis Lehane, that's great, but you shouldn't be saying Darkness Take My Hand or Mystic River, because that's 20 years old. You should find the latest one that has sold well and then use that. Um, and you might not want to aim as high as Dennis Lehane. You know, that's already a very high bar for you to, to, to profess here you've reached. Um, you know, you may want to pick one that is still very recognizable to an editor, but perhaps, perhaps a little less lofty. Yeah, and um, a, a, a sort of sin that a lot of us uh, commit as writers is that we're not reading while we're writing. I mean, some people do. Some people have time, they're retired, or they don't have two kids under four. Um, and they have time to read joyously across all genres. But you may have finished a book and you're like, okay, I don't know who the debut authors who got good deals in the last two years are. Uh, you can search. There are awards, there are traditional awards in every traditional genre. There, um, you know, if you're writing sci-fi, check out the Hugos. Uh, if you're writing mystery, check out the Edgars and the, um, the Anthony's. And the Anthony's. Yeah. Each genre has um, memoir, same thing. There are, there are awards out there. 
and then check out their uh, blurb, not their blurbs, their synopses on Amazon. Just go and read that and be like, oh, that's kind of in the same world. Um, so pick your titles. Uh, I think for the current psychological domestic, psycho, oh man, psychological domestic thriller that we are shopping around, uh, I don't even remember what they are. Well, I mean, the, the, I, you can go for Harlan Coven, who is kind of the king of the domestic thriller and a very specific uh, type of domestic thriller. Um, you know, uh, Lisa Scottolini, uh, they're, they're, they're at least a couple. Yes, so I know I chose a major and I chose two minors uh, whose de debuts did well that were similar but far enough removed to not be like, well, you're not selling the same story. Um, so, yes. Uh, no, not at this time, and we will get into that. This is a standalone um, that co-written with my wife, and uh, it's its own thing. But um, okay, so we kind of covered. Uh, Trey, Trey has a question. Oh, Trey. I was just saying that uh, another good way to to educate yourself on that would be to go choose a writing conference that is specific to your genre, like Bauschkon yeah. for mysteries, or uh, you know, Bullcon for Thriller Fest. And you will see authors there. You will you you can become up to date on what's happening in your genre very very quickly if you do that. Very true. If you pick one close to you, it's not even that expensive. Uh, exactly. And and for the recording and those who maybe not, did not hear that without a microphone, the uh, Trey said that uh, you should attend a conference that specifically is in your genre, um, especially stuff you read. You know, Bouchercon, Thriller Fest. Um, uh, various ones like that for crime and fiction and stuff like that. But again, sci-fi has their own, romance have their own, uh, and then there are larger conferences. But, but that's a great way to meet other authors also, meet agents and editors in an informal setting. You know, we're all going to dinner, great. I'm not gonna pitch you my book, I'm gonna ask you about your kids. Um, but again, that's great. So for nonfiction, how important is platform, oh, I'm sorry, Kelly? Uh, yeah, how important are sales numbers for the comparables? Oh, they, they're important. Right. Yeah, you, you want to try and make sure you have a book that sold pretty well. Now, how to establish that can sometimes be hard to do without Nielsen BookScan, which costs hundreds of dollars to subscribe to each year. Um, but yeah, it, you don't necessarily want to bring up a comp book that did not sell well. Right, unless it's like, it didn't sell well, but it won all of these awards. Like, if your writing style happens to be in that same world, then also add the other comp title that sold well. Um, okay, so for nonfiction, um, so memoir and... Oh, you were asking about platforms? I was going about platform, yeah. Yeah, in nonfiction, platform is kind of all important. The publishers want to know that you are an author who a, is really qualified to write about this subject, and B, has the means to help promote it, knows the people out there who will give it the right blurbs, who are in the media and can give the, the author the terrific interviews. Um, you know, they want to know that you have a following on social media, a big following. It's important to build that up. So it's all about platform, platform, platform. I have had books, <clears throat> I had books turned down early in my career before I realized the importance of platform. And the importance of platform has continued to grow year after year. That's for, what they're really looking for. For non-fiction non authors, yeah. Yeah, question. What's a large platform on social media? A lot. I mean, you know, I would say, 
10 minimum, no, I'd say min these days, minimum 30,000 followers. You know, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. And yeah. if someone has 100,000, are going to take it? That looks good. 100,000. No, it doesn't mean they're just going to take it. There, there are a lot of other elements involved, too. But 100,000 is, is a great number to have. Uh, also, the, to be said, for fiction, platform can help. I mean, obviously, uh, James Comey just put out a thriller, um, as in the former you know, director of the FBI. Yeah. So yeah, everyone's going to buy that book per, no matter what, because right. you can always just add a ghostwriter. Uh, yeah, Kelly. Uh, what about LinkedIn? Um, do, do they consider those numbers at all? I would say less so. I don't know if LinkedIn is, is, is quite up there with the rest in, in terms of uh, you know, readership. Readers, yeah. And that said, these platforms are going to change all the time. Yeah. Like what we say today will be dead tomorrow. Uh, you know, TikTok. And yeah, exactly. We don't have a Discord and TikTok. I'm not the kids, uh, you know. And uh, so that, but for it's really that idea for nonfiction. You have a reader base, whether you have a a blog that you know you thirty thousand people open your emails. Well, that's a big deal. Email newsletter, yeah. Yeah, especially if you're, you're narrow casting like something very specific. If it's a book about, you know, if it's a photo book about cats and you have a cat website where you already sell cat products and you sell to 100,000 people a year, that's a, that's a platform. Um, so, you know, there's all kinds of... Yeah, I, I recently closed a deal with uh, Tarcher, which is an imprint of, uh, of uh, Penguin Random House, uh, for a personal finance specialist who is a young woman who's whole focus is empowering young women to make and save a lot of money and really enjoy their lives while they're doing it. Uh, it's called, her, her, her brand, her platform is called Deeper Than Money, and that will also be the title of the book. And she has a, a really big following. A lot of young women are onto her these days and are, and, are, and are eating up every word. And so we have very high hopes for the book, which will be coming out in August. And um, her platform has made a huge difference in getting her a publisher. Yeah. Yeah, so same thing. If you're a veteran and your book happens to deal with veterans, but you're involved in veterans affairs, things like that. They're, don't think in Twitter followers. Think in people who listen to you and who don't know you. People who are not your friends and family, but who you regularly interact with on a large scale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the good thing is I didn't have a regular platform uh, when I when it started. So uh, we'll get into that just real soon. Um, just for uh, again for looking for authors, um, previous publishing and/or awards. How do um, how does previous publishing experience help or hurt? Previous publishing experience helps if your books have sold well. If they haven't sold well, then it can be a bit of a problem with with uh, with not only with your own publisher, but with other publishers too. Uh, they always go right to Nielsen BookScan to look and see your sales track. And often that can be the, the, the immediate determining factor. Well, no, sorry, we like the book, but, they, but their previous books haven't sold well enough. Or their last book didn't sell well enough, whatever, you know. So um, I would certainly want, would want to know in the query letter if the author has had books published. You know, that, that's something that I would really need to know from the start. And also, um, Nielsen BookScan. So um, Nielsen BookScan is, is pretty old world, meaning it's the same company that used to do TV monitors in, in the house. Still do. Yeah. Still do, but yeah, I mean, it's much harder to, but does it include Amazon sales? 
It does. It is supposed to. But the Neil, I found that the numbers on Nielsen Book Scan are not always all that accurately reflective of a book's success, and, and that often, you know, the publisher knows that they sold many more copies than what's indicated in Nielsen. They don't get everything. Yeah, I've heard it's like a sixty percent disparity. I've heard that if Nielsen says you sold 400, it is, oh man, I can't do math right now. Uh, it's like 500, whatever, you know, whatever the, whatever, it's 40% plus that. But unfortunately, publishers still put their faith in that completely. Are they yes. regularly under reports or just sometimes? I'd say regularly. I'd say regularly, yeah. Does it over report? No. <laughs> never. It's easy. Never. No. It never reports in your favor. No. <laughs> It's your enemy. Hi. Or it could be your friend. <laughs> can you use a, a pen name to hide a bad performing book? That's a great question. It, that can be a problem um, because if I went out as an agent with a pen name for an author uh, but did not let acquiring editors know that I was doing that, that could backfire on me. I've seen it backfire on other agents. You know? yeah. And that said, um, I have a pen name that's August Norman. The book that is going out currently is going out as Norm Thoming and Rebecca Stevens. So that was a consideration. Um, technically, my wife and I outlined the book together, and then I write the chapters, and then she edits. So we're not 100% writing, like 50-50 writing team. Um, in Hollywood, that would be more of a story by uh, credit. But uh, my wife is very good at story. I'm, so I'm not downplaying her part. Um, but I think it, it is a calculated choice that we're going out as Norm Thoming and Rebecca Stevens. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I love the idea of building these two up as a cool, you know, kind of contemporary Nick and Nora pair, you know, okay, yeah. Yeah, collaborators. Yeah, I mean, you know, hip married couple collaborating. Yeah. yeah, obviously if you have any awards, short story awards, uh, short stories that do well, you've been published in short story compilations, you won an award at the Santa Barbara Writers' Conference, any, any accolades within the writing world uh, are always a plus. Definitely, yeah. Because uh, again, that means someone has already taken a chance and said yes. So that's a huge deal. Um, okay, and then finally, um, we'll, I don't know if anyone wants to ask it, but what if I'm self-published and all of a sudden I need an agent? Uh, that is, I write sci-fi and all of a sudden it blew up online. Uh, yeah, is there a way to transition that to yes, traditional publishing? Absolutely. I think an agent would be attracted by that. If you were selling a lot of copies and getting a lot of attention, definitely. Um, what you should not count on is an agent taking on your previously self-published book and trying to sell it to a publisher. Publishers very rarely take on books that have already been self-published. That, that even stop you from having a new book found by and we know there are giant exceptions. We know Twilight. There, yeah, there are. Know. We know that there are exceptions. So it's a good problem to have if that happens. Yeah. Uh, they'll, they'll come to you, basically. Come, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what is the difference? I'm a newbie in sure. the world. Um, there is a way to go with an agent, and there is a way to do self-publishing. Mm -hmm. what, what would be the difference, and why should I choose one path versus the other? Uh, great, yeah. The question was, um, you know, especially if you're starting out and you have a, a sort of blank career, um, what would, what are the advantages of going to self-publishing or is it going with traditional publishing? Well, for me, there's a little bit of ego 
Uh, traditional publishing is where I want, I want to be in bookstores, I want to be nominated for awards. I know that about myself. And part of this talk is literally know about yourself, like what you need emotionally. I also know I don't have time to self-publish. I'm not good at marketing. I'm not good, uh, you know, I'm good, I'm good in the room, but I, I don't have time. I want to write the next book. I don't want to also advertise the current book. I don't want to hand sell. Um, so self-publishing literally means self-publishing. Uh, yeah, there are companies you can work with. There's everything. So if you have a huge platform, yeah, you make more money in self-publishing. The author is more likely to control how much money they make and like how much per copy they get, how much per Kindle page. Read and they, they make get. it faster. And they make it faster. You get checks. So if um, you, you, you could conceivably make more money if you're self-publishing, self you'd certainly see it sooner. You know, you have to wait a long time, you know, to get an agent, for the agent to go out and get you, find you publishers who are interested in, in acquiring your book, and then it's often a year to two years before the publisher puts out your book. So it's a much longer road. Whereas if you self-publish, you can have it out, you know, in a matter of weeks. Yeah, there are sci-fi writers who put out novellas every four months and make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Are they writing the best thing ever? their readers think so. So it's really kind of knowing yourself of where you want to be, where you want to be in the world. Do you need to be in a bookstore? Uh, then you probably want to be traditionally published um, because very rarely bookstores will allow you to have events. If, if they can't order from the catalog, um, that, that's a big deal. If they can't return your books when they don't yeah. sell, then they won't, don't want you in the store. They might do consignment. They might have you at the local mom and pop, and that's wonderful. Indie bookstores are the best. but. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, it's a bit of an ego thing and, um, and time. You just have to know your life and to know what you want out of it. Do you consider hybrid publishing exact, is it exactly the same as self-publishing? No, it's different. It's okay. different. Because that sounds like there's a, it's actually a third. Yeah, I guess I call hybrid publishing indie publishing. Then uh, maybe that's my mistake. Um, the question was, uh, what, what's hybrid publishing, essentially? Hybrid publishing means there is a publishing company or a conglomerate, uh, and we have some reps from. I, uh, like I have friends who have published with Acorn, and they they love it. You know, Acorn, Holly uh, is here this week, and so is somebody else from Acorn. I'm not pushing them, but again, I have a lot of success stories with friends uh, that way. Um, a hybrid uh, conglomerate essentially is you might pay them money. Um, they, and they'll hire a book, they'll cover cover designer, they'll hire a, a line and copy editor, uh, layout, they'll do all that stuff. They have maybe a distribution deal with, uh, in what's the, uh, I, Ingram, Ingram, which means you're gonna get hardcover books and they, they can ship them to bookstores. Um, that doesn't mean there's a bookseller selling to the bookstores, but that means they, bookstores can order them uh, through, through an approved distribution system. You guys are talking very directly about this distinction from the publishing side. I think that there, I think the question in the room, or at least the question for me, if I were going to consider non-mainstream publishing is, what is, the, what is the effective result to the author? Like, I know you can indie publish and have your book in your garage. Right. right. Versus how much do, in this in the modern day, how much does go in with traditional publishing net you in terms of support for your work and access to your market versus hybrid or, or self? 
A lot of that depends on if you have a publisher who a publisher who's really behind you and behind the book, and is willing to put resources behind it. They will all do a certain level of a basic promotion, but they consider it up to you to really take this by the horns and do a lot of your own promotion as well. And you would be doing that with with self-publishing certainly if you want to have a success with it. But a lot of the um, the costs involved in publishing and, of course, the distribution are taken on by a traditional publisher. And we are not advocating for one or the other, except Eric makes his money in traditional yeah. publishing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna you know, help someone self-publish their book because that will not, I will not get that 15% out of that, a commission out of that. Yeah. So I, I may not be the, the best person to ask about self-publishing or yeah. hyper-publishing because it's not something that I have any expertise in. Right, and again, there are self-publishing workshops here uh, as well as the alternative publishing options. There are, I, I think Holly's panel might be tomorrow. Um, so check that out. Uh, they know more about it than we will. Um, okay, so that we, I knew that would come up though, so that's why we definitely covered that. Uh, so now we're gonna look for what authors uh, should look for uh, when they're looking for an agent. Um, so obviously, you know, step one is, oh, I want an agent, but then it's that, like, do I want the right agent? I know it feels kind of cocky uh, to be like, well, I want the, only the one who's gonna work for me, but it's very important uh, that once you have that relationship, you understand what that relationship is and also what you need as a person. Um, at first, I just needed to have an agent because that meant I made it, you know? Like I, I, it, but, but then I realized I needed to have a certain kind of agent. So my first agent was an editor first and foremost. And uh, that kind of shepherded me to be a better author. But then I realized that they weren't necessarily a salesperson. Um, so I realized I, need some, I don't need someone to tell me I'm a writer. I don't need someone to tell me the book's ready. I need someone who has access to uh, acquiring editors and can sell the book. And they can sell the book quickly, or not quickly, but I, you, you get, they have a submission plan, they have contacts to go to, and they can go to that. So I definitely know that there are agents of both type. I had met with agents here who do sell books um, and who were like, well, let's take six months and I got some ideas and I, like, I want to developmental edit this with you. If that's what you need as a person, look for that kind of agent. But it's very important, like any relationship, that you communicate up front what you're looking for and what they do. Because, you know, you know it's, it's like a marriage or anything. You start, sit, put, all, put all your stuff out there at the beginning. Don't expect people to change. There are editors who really love to roll up their sleeves. I'm sorry, there are agents who really love to roll up their sleeves and get deeply involved in the editing process with an author. They really love it. Like, sounds like your first agent was like that. And that was exactly what Norman may have needed at that time. I am not the kind of editor, I'll do a certain amount of that, but this is all spec work until I see my commission. And I don't have the time to put in hours and hours and hours and months and months and months of years. draft after draft, years, you know, someone's work, no matter how much I believe in it, because, you know, I am not an editorial service, I'm an agent. There are editorial services and independent editors who can help you with that. They have to be paid, of course. Pre-retirement, um, how, many, how many authors were in your stable at, at one time? Like at one time? I try to keep it to about maybe 20 to 25 really active okay. writers, yeah. Okay, and then um, when you were at 
Spieler? 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 Yeah, same thing, a larger agency with more... You know, I said it was it was still me doing the work, so okay. I felt the same way there and, and, and at Distal. I, I um, knew how much I could handle and, and didn't want to take on more than that and wind up disappointing my clients. And again, I think that's one of the things that's important to remember, people have to pay their bills. They want your dream to come true, they really do, but at the end of the day, they have to pay you their bills. The acquiring editors have to pay their bills. Everybody, especially if they're living in the East Coast, they have to, they have to have a job first before they make dreams come true. So, um, and then that brings me to, I, I, think, I think authors should look at, when they're looking for agents, you, great, you represent what I, first, do they represent what I sell? And then B, do they sell it? Um, meaning, are they making their living as an agent? There are plenty of people who are agents and also other things, and that is important. That To me, the percentage should be much further on the agent side than the other things. Um, in this day and age, I mean, people have to do a lot of stuff. But how do we check that? So um, this one is a specific. Uh, there are all kinds of various portals, but publishersmarketplace.com. Publishers Marketplace is part of a conglomerate that also does Publishers Weekly. Um, it is where all of the traditional professionals post things like deals, like uh, they, they post changes in personnel at the big publishers, um, that kind of thing. The press releases go there. So when a book deal happens, it says, this was sold by this agent, uh, this, by this book in this genre by this author was sold by this agent to this representative acquiring editor at this publisher for this much money. Um, you, you can enter the name of an agent and see what their most recent deals were, what they sold to whom. Yeah, and so this is a paid service, but honestly, when you're looking, you probably only need one month. You're not gonna be looking all year, so if you, if you make your list of agents uh, for a month, that's 25 bucks. Um, like but the best 25 bucks yeah, Trey said like the best $25 you'll ever spend. Like literally, I said yes. The first agent that wanted me, I was like, yes! <laughs> I did not know when I said yes that she was, in addition to being an agent, a college professor in North Dakota. I did not know that she had never sold a book before. Oh my gosh. I, I just knew that she was with a reputable agency. And so I was like, yes. The questions I asked, I was the first of our group to get a deal, so yep. we didn't have the experience. I did not ask questions like that. Had I gone to Publishers Marketplace and seen that she had never sold a book, that would have affected my decision. It is wonderful when an agent says, I want to represent you, but you cannot let that blind you to the business, to, to these facts. For the recording, published author Trey Dowell said that when he signed with his agent, he had not done that research and was very disappointed by the outcome. She still sold. She the book. sold the book, though. That right. that is a thing. So again, awesome. that is part of the thing you should consider when looking for agents: is you're interviewing them as well. This is a partnership, and partnership comes from business. Um, yes, Tyler. I had a quick question: that how much do how much of your book do you actually do you have to have your whole book done before you look for an agent? Or like up to 80%? Yes, or yes. Even, especially if it's fiction. Okay. We want so to see the entire you book. Agent, you should think that your book is done. You, you should not only think it's done, you, you shouldn't okay. just think it's done. Okay. You should know that it is in the best possible shape. Right. You only get one chance with us. Like your best, the best that you can do is out there. Absolutely. Okay. And that means 
that you should have workshopped it, you know, right, been part right. of a writer's group, get the feedback of others, and, and consider that feedback seriously okay. and implement it when, when necessary. That also means you might consider a copy editor, um, a line editor, someone who literally is like, hey, you're using this word wrong. Uh, or these are typos, you do it all the time. I'm gonna flag them all and fix them or for 500 bucks, you know, those editors are out there. So we talk about a lot of different types of editors. There's developmental editors. Those are editors who look largely at the shape of your story. They will help you guide your story. They may do other things as well. But copy editors and line editors, they're there for the typos. They're not reading your work. They are, they are scanning your work. Um, so they don't necessarily care. I mean, they might try to affect your voice and be like, well, then technically you shouldn't use a contraction there. And you're like, no, I, I do though. You know, this is dialogue, shut up. You know, so but those are all services you can find and pay for. Some are better than others. The best way to find those is word of mouth at a conference like this from other authors who have used them. Um, um, but yes, uh, what about proposals? Uh, I, I'm sorry if this is the question, but for nonfiction, obviously for proposals, what's the difference in a proposal versus a finished work? Yes, for you, Eric. Yeah, the, the, the proposal is the, your key selling tool for nonfiction. Okay. And that is not a finished book. It is, of course, a proposal that, that includes many aspects, an overview, a brief author bio, a section uh, on... How long is that? Like five pages still? Or? No, yeah. no. D you, because it also includes a sample chapter to show what kind of write. The ideal proposal comes in around between 35 and 50 pages, the ideal nonfiction proposal. Because they're... they're, and they're how many word counts? Aha. Well <laughs> done, Tyler. That, in that case, it's in more of a finished pages, yeah. document. Like, it's yeah. more of a PDF. Right. Yeah. So in that case, it is a, you know, it's a, almost a PowerPoint presentation or a PDF or Word. I mean, I'm saying right, those are the right. formats, but think of it as a self-contained So you would send document. a proposal, your set proposal to uh, Along with the query. You can, you can send them a query letter first, okay. see if they're interested in reading the proposal. And, you know, and then they can let you know whether they'd like, like to have you send it. Yeah, and just going back to the, to, to the query process real fast, it's important to only give them what they ask for in their specifications. Do not attach anything to an email. They will just not read it. They, uh, unless requested, do not add, if they say five pages, do not give them more than five pages because you're like, well, I'm pasting it in an email. They'll stop when they want to. No, just give them five pages. Do not give attachments because that's how viruses are spread across the yeah. world. Like, don't do that. They don't have a huge IT staff. And they're, they're doing all their own queries. Just give them what they ask for. If they want more, they will ask for more. Right. Yes. The problem is most publishing houses will not accept <coughs> proposals that do not come through an agent. They insist on that. And, and, and it makes it harder for authors, I know, but publishing houses see us agents as the first line of defense. In a way, we're filtering through what, and then we're only coming to them with the best of, of what we feel is perfect. But on that note, uh, small regional presses or smaller presses or regional presses may accept unsolicited, they could, you could say unsolicited submissions or unrepresented submissions. The answer to that is in your research. The answer to that is on their website. Um, you know, it, it, it will say. The big ones, they say yes, send us. Then if they, if they say yes, send us, send it. But it's very rare that a big one will say send it without 
you being represented by an agent. Perhaps at a conference, and there, there will be editors who will meet with you and will say yes, send it. But that's the only way usually that I know of in which they'll say just send it in without an agent. Uh, real fast, because uh, I think we should probably get to a break here, so just get to our break point in our outlet. Um, other, other things to look for for agents real fast, uh, again, their websites, their social media, they're all different. Everybody has different stuff. People mentioned at the panel yesterday that like MS Wishlist or Agent uh, Query Tracker and Agent uh, something. Agentquery.com. Agentquery.com generally aggregate what people are looking for, what they represent, and what their submission guidelines are, or at least how to find where their submission guidelines are. Check that stuff out. Uh, what was that third one you said? Agentquery.com. Yeah. Uh, query, for those who may not be familiar, is Q-U-E-R-Y. There's no shame in asking yeah, right, yeah. if you're just hearing right. terms. It's not Q-U-E-E-R. Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> it's a different site. <laughs> yes, they do take some K agents, yes. Um, <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so then um, one other thing I just, I like to look for is if they're active in the community. Um, that is, Eric, uh, sells thrillers and mysteries, he attended Thriller Fest every year and he did yeah. the pitch sessions. Yeah. That's important to me. What's the um, association of agents that's not like a guild or is it a guild? Well, it's not really a guild. No, it's not, not a guild because we're not a union, but, but it's the, the uh, it's a, a uh, keeps, keeps changing its name and its anagram. <laughs> Currently, it's Association of American Literary Agents, A-A-L-A. And uh, not all agents belong to it, but using an agent worth his salt will belong to it. It's, it's a very good organization. These, th that kind of organization is that like self-regulating, like listen, if yeah. someone... We have a code of ethics. Yeah, if someone, you know, a code of ethics, it's, you know, we all take, this is how percentages work, this is how um, you report people who are, who are abusing authors, you know, who are like, well, if you pay me this much, you shouldn't have to ever pay an agent up front. Mm. No. Like, agents commission, work on commission, Right. And that commission comes out of sales. Um, okay, so then let's talk about the actual uh, contract between an author and an agent. Which is really generally known as an agreement. That's how we differentiate it from a book contract, okay. the author, author agency agreement, in which uh, the, the agent draws up a contract, which, the, which is signed both by the agent and the author, that tells basically what is expected of the agent, what the agent will do to help to sell the author's work. Uh, that includes like what rights? Um, or does that include, does that include like, basically, I also cover you for film rights, I also cover you for yes. international? Yes, it includes that. It also specifies the amount of commission, which is 15%. I don't know anybody who takes more or less. And is that 15% on top of sales? So if, if the advance is $10,000, is that the publisher pays the author 10,000 and the agent gets 15 or 15% or 1500? Or is it, does it depend? There's a, there's a Hollywood thing where like some agents are like, I'm 15 plus. So they, really? yeah, yeah. Not in my business. Okay, so it is out of, it is out of the gross. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's 15% off the top of whatever the, the advance is, and then the sales. So that typically means your checks go first to the agent, yeah. who then writes you checks. However, I, I try to set it up now, this is just me, I try to set it up so that the publisher pays the author their 85% directly, and I get my 15% commission separately. Yeah. That's how I prefer to do it. It makes it easier for everybody and the people see their money faster that way. But that's the kind of stuff you talk about 
you know, up front. You, I know you're, you're excited, you don't you know, want to scare anybody away, but ask all those questions. If they don't want to answer those questions, that's a red flag. Right, right. Um, exactly. Okay, and then uh, how long is an agency agreement? Is it per project or is it uh, career-based or how do you? Uh, it varies according to agencies. Mine is written up in such a way that it basically lasts about 12 months, uh, which gives the agent adequate time to really try and sell the book and to really, really get out there with it. Uh, and then after that point, you can go. Either can walk away if they want to. Yeah, and that's really important, especially I think with nonfiction um, or, or anything that you think could be could be pitched again if the agent, I don't know, if the agent turned out to be not like uh, when I had that first agent and then signed with Eric, um, Eric was like, well, who had they pitched to? And the list was actually pretty small, which meant there were still plenty of opportunities to pitch that same work. Um, and we'll get into the pitch list uh, afterwards. But well, again, yeah, go ahead. Is it important for a California-based writer to have a California-based agent? No, no, no. I don't think it makes a difference because uh, it's the same business and everything is online now and you know contacts and everything. I mean, it's nice to have a New York agent. That's what I was going to ask. May, yeah, who may have have uh, the chance to have a lot of personal contact with editors. You know. Go to lunch with them and yeah, see them at events. That's I was gonna say that as much as traditional publishing, uh, as the pandemic has opened up virtual work, and a lot of agents have moved across the country, and a lot of editors who work for traditional publishing houses. I mean, there's nothing better than to be able to have lunch with somebody um, or see somebody on a regular basis in person. So there's still a huge advantage to having a New York-based agent. A lot of, uh, for example, West Coast-based agents will make frequent trips to New York where they meet with people. So, you know, I, I would not discount. I mean, you, you saw some terrific agents here on the agent panel yesterday, and they were all West Coast, and, and they were great. Yeah. yeah. You say New York-based is better than Los Angeles-based? It's not that simple. It's not that simple. Uh, you know, it, 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 it is great if you have a New York agent who is more in the thick of things and meeting editors. You're getting to meet editors face to face rather than just being a voice on the phone or an email. Um, but uh, I, I don't want to rush to say that New York agents are, are better. I was so impressed with the agents we had here yesterday. Yeah, and, and, and obviously this is fluid. Um, yeah. Everything is changing in that regard because we're finding more that the even the traditional publishers who are based in New York are realizing, well, real estate's expensive. That's dumb. Why don't we work from home? You know, like, um, so then all of a sudden they're in Connecticut, and they're you know, or all of a sudden they're in Los Angeles or Minnesota. So it really more goes to sales, um, more goes to sales. All right. So on that note, uh, why don't we take a quick five, uh, hit the bathroom, do whatever. When we come back, we are going to uh, kind of work. We're going to talk about the submission process. So after the agent and author have agreed, the submit the book going out, how long it should take, that kind of stuff, how to view rejections then the deal, and then what happens after a deal happens, especially on the author's uh, side. So that's what we're gonna talk about, come back. Thanks for all the questions, we'll see you in a bit. Okay, everybody. Uh, I'm sure people will trickle back in, but we should keep it going, keep this going. So um, this is a, a line from Trey Dalla, Trey Dalla yesterday in the bar said um, about, uh, so when you get an agent, um, it's like you, you had a winning lottery ticket. Uh, unfortunately, that's just a winning lottery ticket that you cash in for now another winning lottery or another lottery ticket to the I don't mind, but, but the whole point is the whole point is the agent then gets you to the submission process and here we are. 
Um, so let's open the submission process. Obviously, the agent, author, and author agree that the work is ready to go out. Whether that's you know, it's been all the beta readers. It's been the agent has given their notes, and so here's what we need. Here's the, the packet you need to to submit. Uh, it's a pitch first and foremost. So I know I try to put the pitch together for you, and then you make your own pitch. Yeah, that's how I like to do it because I find that very often the the, the author is the best one to be able to describe his work. He's already formulated the, the brief premise, the synopsis, the elevator pitch. So if you guys aren't good, if you know you're not good at synopses and log, uh, like a log line, like a one line pitch, a, a one paragraph pitch, a three paragraph pitch, a full page synopsis, embrace that. Start getting good at it. Uh, there are great ways to write those. Uh, one thing I do is uh, I make a one line summary of every chapter in my book. Put that all in one document, and then I, okay, that's a synopsis. And then I dial that back. I also um, I work with the uh, sort of the save the cat method, uh, if you're familiar with writing guides. Um, but uh, their story beats. Um, you know, there there are ways to you know, other people teach that better than I. But get good at that. Find out that so so that you know that you're pitching the story as concise as possible. Should the story uh, pitch reveal the ending or a point toward an ending? Possibly a point toward, but you don't want to give it all away. But you know, come up with a, a good one to two paragraphs on your story, and then I can build on that. You know, and, and add information about you as an author and, 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 and you know. If the, if the writer gives you a really really good query letter, you could probably you, do you poach from the query letter? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Think of this. Think of this as the the cover. Of the back jacket cover, you know, of the, of the cover. Like this is the, synop the synopsis that goes on there. Will it end up this way? Blah blah blah. <laughs> Excuse me. You're generating tension. You're generating suspense. No matter what genre you're in, uh, that wants that you're pitching. You you're selling. Yeah. And it all started with a query letter. So yeah, very often the pitch is the the premise is right there. You can see authors doing their own pitch. And then also comp titles uh, and other authors in the genre that have sales. So you've done that research, hopefully, to include in your query. That then also goes out to the publishers. Yeah. Uh, do you tailor that per publisher, or is it pretty much? Sometimes like they do, especially if they were the publisher of the comp, one of the comp titles. Right. Yeah. Right. And that could be either good or bad, right? It can be. It can be. Meaning, like, hey, you loved Falling by blah blah blah. Here's Falling too. You know. I would, you know, but I, but I wouldn't say that it was a carbon copy. Right. Simple. No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. So then um, you create a list of. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. In the pitch, do you include anything about yourself as the author, or is it only about the story? Yeah. I, I, I try to. If there's material that I feel will help sell the editor on this project, then I do go into some detail about the author. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Like so. Authors actually, uh, editors actually also like debut authors. So literally, if you have nothing, they're like this debut author. Like this is a chance to snap up raw talent and then go big with it. So don't feel bad if that's your qualification. Correct. Your qualification. In fiction, no qualification. Yeah, exactly. In fiction. Um, okay, so you you create your list of editors. Uh, as far as you're like, yes. And then I like to to do it in rounds. I like to do it uh, in, in six. For the first round, six. In other words, I like to wait for the responses, the editorial responses, whether they are interested, whether they feel that it needs further work, 
And then sometimes, if that's the case, you know, when I pass those responses along to the authors, the authors may decide, well, yes, that does need tweaking. They can go back to work on the manuscript, and then for the second round of submissions, it will be in better shape. Uh, and on that note, um, uh, so imprints. At the traditional big five, because everything's a conglomerate now, how many imprints, uh, well, I guess it's even genre-based, um, so say thriller and mystery, um, how many options are there? Well, yeah, it depends. Some, some uh, publishers have more than one imprint that, that covers this. Sometimes it can verge into other genres within different imprints. So in terms of, of, of a number, if you're asking me for a number, uh, you know, it varies from publisher to publisher. Sure, yeah. But like, let's say, are there 40 total slots? I would say there are fewer. If you're talking about a specific genre, there might be fewer than 40 for the major publishers. Okay. I would say it would be closer to 20. Right, so if there's only 20 uh, places to go with it, and each of them have five editors, perhaps, on that imprint, um, like, you choose, they may you choose fewer, one. They may have fewer than that. You, you choose one of the editors at that imprint, yeah. which technically means if they reject your work, you don't get to then go to the other editors no, at the same time. No, I do not. They reject it for the imprint. Okay, so that's something to keep in mind. Uh, so if your agent is not sharing that list, um, should they? Should they share that list with you? As an author, uh, should the agent be like, here's the who I'm sending Oh, to absolutely. Oh, right. yes. Yeah, should the agent be sharing the list of where it's going? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And again, that's one of those things that you can take some agency in. Um, you, if you have ever met any of the editors at someone, or even if they're not quite at the imprint, mention that to your agent. Uh, let them know about all the relationships you have. Don't assume that they're necessarily going to, to the same person you've already met, and then they'll, that that person will hear about it. So again, if anyone, if you have a relationship with anyone, make sure that that's part of the partnership and you tell them about that. Yeah, if you meet an editor from a particular house at a conference and have had a good rapport with them, then by all means, you should let me know so I can go to that editor. Yes. Well, uh, it, it used to be that it was a no-no to submit to more than one editor at once. Um, what do you mean? It is one editor, more than one editor at one house? Or, or no, one? at a time. No, that would be crazy. But you would take forever. But this is not, this is no longer true, I think. I don't think it was ever true. I, I don't. Well, they used to I never do it only way. in terms when they were trying to get a bidding war. It's a bit. Ah. But then you're not, if it's I a bidding war, you're, you're already submitting it to several. <laughs> All right, so we'll, yeah, we'll talk about exclusivity. Uh, so obviously, um, some people will ask for, like, if they ask for the manuscript, they may ask for an exclusive. Oh, yeah, that would be different. Yeah, that, that's a very specific situation. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it, okay, so then um, I, I was gonna say, well, maybe I'll put that later. Um, so yes, okay, so once you've actually put out some, uh, some submissions, how long do they, do they always reply? Do, do they used to always reply and now they don't always reply? Yeah. It's getting worse since the lockdown. Uh, you can, you can uh, put out these pitches and sometimes editors just won't get back to you, which, is, which you are, I think, supposed to interpret as the fact that they're not interested. But I would prefer an actual response, and I get a bit persistent. You know, I'll, I'll send a follow-up email saying, "Hey, maybe this one went to your spam folder," and uh, and then if I get no response on that, I will call them. And no, no editor answers their phone anymore, so you get their voicemail, and I'll leave a detailed voicemail message, uh, including you know all my contact info, 
and then if I don't hear from them again, basically I never want to submit anything to them again, ever. <laughs> you know? uh, so. Right, so uh, the good thing about that is if an editor never replies to you to say no at, at an imprint, then you can actually approach one of the other editors yeah. at an imprint yeah. with the assumption that they just didn't receive it. Right. So at least it's not a full-on rejection. Um, but let's say they do receive it, they, they ask for the manuscript, they take it. Um, and sometimes it disappears into a black hole there too. Okay, yeah. sometimes. But we'll get back to you. One of the things that happens is they often read it or hand it to a reader. Uh, some agencies or some editors still don't have enough time to read all the books, so they might pay some college kid uh, to, to read it and give it notes. Uh, just like in Hollywood, they might have readers. Um, and then they also might circulate it internally uh, of like, hey, I really like this. Do you really like this? To so some of the other associate editors, some of their interns. So there is that time of multiple reads. Um, oh, yes. Do, do people actually, I mean, I know, I'm just curious. So many people are reading your stuff. Do you ever worry about somebody stealing your ideas? Uh, not at all. Um, no? I mean, your ideas? Goes through so many different hands, and like you said, college students might read it, and they... I mean, what if they tried to tell us, so, well, this is a great idea for a book. Well, a great idea for a book is, is nothing until it's a book. Right. Everybody has a great idea, and everybody writes it differently. The, the main difference would be plagiarism. Right. Like, literally, if you're submitting PDFs, and all of a sudden you find it on ebook sites for free, well, that's a crime. That doesn't happen that often. That does, it doesn't happen that often. It does happen. Okay. So um, that's a whole other thing. But, but usually, I would like to hope not from publishers. You know, right. I'm not aware of, of this happening Yeah, don't be precious about your ideas, because no, no two people write the same way, and no two people write the same story. Plagiarism is a crime, and you can you, you find it. So you obviously had existing copies of your work that were done beforehand. You don't have to copyright them in order to enforce that. And a, um, and a college kid at a publisher, like, it would be easy to pin on them. Like, they, they yeah. couldn't get away with it. Right. Um, it had right. a record of it going to right. that publisher right. and a record that that guy read it or that woman read it. Oh, God. So, yeah, yeah. I would, wouldn't risk yeah. Like, if you're at a conference like this and someone's like, what are you working on? You can tell them what you're working on. You know, right. don't, don't be afraid. Um, okay, so then the editors, uh, even so even after the editors read it, they also pitch it to their marketing department. Um, so they, they if, if they're pretty interested, they're gonna, they're gonna say, hey, marketing, what do you guys think? And then marketing be like, we have something just like that coming out next quarter. So they'll be like, nah, maybe it's a no. Um, but finally, um, the agent, and, and or, they may, or they may say, we don't see the audience for this. They might say, we don't see the audience for this, we don't know, um, you know who we're gonna sell it to. You know, I think we should pass. Right, and so ultimately, these editors, once they like something, they have to pitch it to their board. Do they reach out to you before they pitch it to, their, to the whole board? Yes, they do. They let me know that they're doing that. Yeah. So, so that's a great, that's a great uh, call and email to get. Yeah, the, um, the first step is usually that they, they say they're going to be sharing it with other editors there, and then they reach out. Yes. You said they reach out to you. They let me know that they're going to be bringing it to their board. Yeah, and they say we're going to be, uh, going to be bringing it to the board. The meeting is Wednesday. And then Wednesday goes by, and Thursday goes by, and you don't hear anything. And the next week you say, uh, hey, uh, I thought you were going to let me know. Uh, oh, the meeting got postponed. It's not going to be till next week. And on, and on, and on. 
Right, and part of that you have to remember is life happens. I mean, people get COVID, you know. Right. People don't want to say they got COVID. Now they're out of the office for two weeks, but they, they'll be available, you know, like, it, life is happening. So you can't take all of it personally. Again, not all of it is the rejection of your slice of the dream coming into their office. Some of it is their dog had to have a surgery. Like, life happens, it's not your fault. Yeah. Um, but when they finally give you feedback, so, so they're either going to reject, if they reply, they're either going to give you a rejection to the agent, or they're going to say, we'd like to make an offer. Yes, yes. Uh, so obviously, let's talk rejections first, because they're not as fun. Um, what, how, how much do they range as far as rejections? Like one line to a paragraph, or? It, it could, yes, it's usually maybe a short paragraph or a uh, phone call. You know. uh, so uh, I try to glean from the rejection what I can, if it's something that will help the work, whether it's you know something editorial, whether it's something promotional. I try to, to bring that back to the author and let them know what the reasons were so that we can discuss that. Right, I mean, like any note, um, it's the number of times you hear it. Like one note's subjective. One note might just be like, I don't like that kind of story, but if you did this, it'd be great. Or you're doing time travel wrong. You know, like, okay. But if 70% of people say something, like in this case, if three editors out of six say uh, the third act doesn't pay off, well then the third act doesn't pay off. You know, it's not one person saying it, or two even, but like, again, as, as an author, you get that option to be like, do I scramble to try to address a note that's in one line for then hoping they'll buy it? Because they won't. If they've already rejected it. Usually, yeah, and you can go back to them with a the new version and they'll say, well, I'm sorry, it still doesn't work for us. So yeah, usually a no is a no. Right, even if it's a really polite note with great notes. Yeah. They might say something, I think with the first manuscript, they said, like, bring, bring me his next project. Yeah, yes, like, right, this right, is right. Great we'll give you that. He went over, he went over uh, overboard on something here, or I've seen too much of it, but let me know about the next one. Um, and then obviously you pass in a very kind way, constructive criticism to me, as well as let me know about rejections. Uh, because again, it's, you know, and he lets me know if he hasn't heard back at all. And so then there's that partnership of, of what do we want to do next? Are we ready for the next round? Do you want to make any changes as an author? Um, but again, let's say someone says, I'm interested, we loved it. Uh, we'd love to talk to the author. I assume that you then reach out to anyone who has not rejected it and say, listen, we've got an offer, we've got interest. Would you like the weekend to read this? That's what I do. Uh, suddenly they get super responsive. Yeah, if yeah. someone else is interested, so, suddenly within the weekend, their huge, huge to-be-read pile, you will go to the top. Because that is, again, somebody else is interested, it must be good. That doesn't mean on Monday there'll be, there'll be a bidding war, but it could be. You gotta try for that, yeah. You gotta try, yeah. so, oh yes. Does that apply also to agents? If you get does. Yes, I, I very often, in fact, have gotten that kind of email from someone who submitted to me. Uh, me know for the recording, the question was, um, the question was, if, if you get an offer of representation from an agent, should you then reach out to the other agents you were also querying and, and, and nudge them? Yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. And did that raise you a little bit from the Totally. Yes. Yes. It did for me. It did for me. I, um, when Eric offered to represent me, I did nudge people. 
and they all read within the weekend. It, and they didn't necessarily want it, but, um, and then you meet, yes. If you, as an agent, if you send out to your six places you want to submit to, and they all reject it, and you send it out to the next round, and they all reject it, how long do you keep doing that before you go back to the author and say, give me something else? Well, that's a good question. Uh, it depends on the extent of the, the changes that may or may not need to be made and, and how, how much you've gotten in terms of productive, constructive criticism from the sources that have rejected it. You, you don't always get that. Sometimes you just get, sorry, it's not for us. You know, there's something, something very generic like that. But if you really are, are and especially if you're getting more, as you point out, more the same comments saying, what's wrong, then it's something that really needs to be worked on. And if you really believe in the book, you know, then you keep after it for a while. But I would say that, you know, once you get up to about 20 rejections, there's a pretty good chance it's not gonna sell. On that note, let's say you get the same note and enough that you wanna rewrite the book. And you do rewrite the book, how much should it be different how much should it be different to then resubmit under the same title? Would you even do it under the same title? Would you do it? Do you, when you say resubmit, do you, you don't mean go back to someone who's already said no? Well, I guess I'm wondering. If Rebecca and I's book doesn't sell, but we do say, like, change three points of view. Uh, you know, like, add another point of view, uh, change some second act major plot points, um, some big set pieces. Um, like, how different... Would something have to be to then try again? I wouldn't. I, you know, I, it usually doesn't work that way. When you go back to an agent who's rejected it and the, the, the author has taken in all their criticisms and rewritten it, they usually get the same response. And you wonder whether they really have bothered to reread the new version. Well, I definitely found that with um, Hollywood. Uh, that like, well, we'd love it if it just did this. And you work with somebody on all these notes, and then you rewrite it exactly for their notes. Like, no, I don't like it. And you're like, oh, it wasn't what I imagined. And you're like, obviously, because you're not the one writing it, so you never imagined. Yeah, so, okay, so that is, a good, uh, that is a good thing to keep in mind. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't small publishers who are still traditional publishers who might not be interested. So it's kind of that, like, great, do you want your debut book to now be with a small publisher, or do you want to wait two to three years, work on something completely different, and try to debut larger? So obviously these are not quit your job decisions. Like this is, I mean, this is like, like oh, you used to gotta pay your bills. Like this, you may not be rich. And obviously we'll talk about deals and what to expect, but most debut authors, there are exceptions. Most debut authors do not get to quit their jobs. A lot of series authors don't get to quit their jobs to like five books in. Um, you know, to, to, so, so that part of the dream while it does happen, it is a little bit like lottery winning. There are people whose debut books skyrocket to the top, and then all of a sudden people are like, what else do you have? And they have new deals, and they're like, oh, I get, oh, get that thing out of the drawer, and we'll sell that too. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a wonderful thing. That does happen. Yes, Trey. I'm going to ask the sobering question, because I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and this is for Eric. Because so many people believe get agent equals book deal. How common is it to take on a new client, not sell their book, not be able to, and then that relationship ends? It is common. It is common, unfortunately. You know, we, we agents have great belief in the projects that we take on. Otherwise, we 
would not take them on because it, every project we take on represents a great investment of time and care and concern, and it's a, a new relationship, and you don't want to you know, break people's dreams. So, uh, but it does happen, unfortunately. You know, there may be other books that publishers have in the works that haven't come out yet that are similar, you know, they, they are, or just for whatever reason it, it isn't striking the chord with these acquiring editors that it did with you, the agent originally. Um, so yes, that can happen. It can happen. Oh, okay. Well, does it behoove the, the writer then to um, to check where this agent is generally successful, like who's, this guy seems to have this kind of contact. Yes, and that goes back to the earlier point of definitely research the agents and their sales. Well, can you, can you research, like, um, does this agent succeed with these genres, with this genre? Yes, very much so. So if you, again, when you're researching your agent, you go to publishersmarketplace.com, you pay the money for the month, you check, in, you check their sales, um, you check who they've sold to, you check in your genre what they've sold, you then also check other comp titles in your genre and who they've sold to. And yeah, you, you do that research of the cross-section of, of, of that. Well, and again, it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean it's, there's no guarantee. Yeah, yeah. But that's I, you got a question? I, I appreciate your kind answer, but in the, in the world of batting averages, you're really talking about 30 to 50% of clients that you take on, right? That don't sell. I mean, so- I would say it would be closer to 30. But so, yeah, getting an agent is awesome. I, that's why I'm here I'm learn, to learn this. And getting an, also, an agent is not selling your book, like you said. And it's the first step. Yeah. It's the first step. Yeah. 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 Right. And again, doesn't mean you can't get another agent who then sells, but maybe the same book doesn't sell. There's a lot of that, like, oh, God. There, there's a lot of, like, oh, I thought I'd succeeded. So part, a part of what I would love to impart is that, like in all life, is that idea of, of honor your victories. Um, every time someone says yes, it's a victory. Every time a friend reads your whole book, it's a victory. Every time an agent takes a chance on you, that's a, a victory. And uh, decide, do some work on yourself and wonder why you want, what, what do you need to be fulfilled to be a writer? Because there are writers with 20 books out there of imposter syndrome still. Uh, if you're writing for income, then know what that market is and the fastest way to it. But if you're writing for your soul to feel like I've finally been accepted, I mean, half the readers we read as classics were famous posthumously, right? There weren't classics while they were alive, they were penniless. So understand what it is in yourself that is a, is a victory and a success. Yeah, just getting an agent is, you've done something probably 90% of writers haven't done. That is true. That is true, that's very true. true. There are victories yeah. everywhere you look. It's just, yeah. if you are, if the only way you feel you can win is to have a bestseller, you're, it's, it's, you're setting it's, yourself it's, up. It's yeah. a rough life. Yeah, it's the equivalent of like, well, I'm gonna take the bus to Hollywood and, and I won't stop till I'm a star. Like, it happens. There are those stories, but there are also plenty of the other stories. Yeah, exactly. I'm not trying to rain on anyone's parade. I'm trying to remember, at least for myself, to be realistic. That is exactly right. And what is realistic? 
Yes. Yeah. All right, but now since we, we've got some stuff to get through, we are going to continue on um, with the deal and we're talking about advances. So obviously, when, uh, when I got the, the email that somebody was interested, um, you told me what their kind of questions were and then set up a call. And so I uh, talked on the phone. I pulled over on the side of the road in my car next to a Starbucks, and, uh, which was the quietest spot I could find, and uh, had my call, call with my editor. And she asked uh, several things about the book. A, is it a series? Because they did mystery and thriller. They wanted series. They wanted books in the series. Do you have what that next book is? And I briefly pitched the next book. Um, and then some questions about um, just various things. And then it did actually talk about other stuff. Um, and then I agreed that I liked them. And then she kind of gave me a, 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 an overview without getting into details about like, well, I do have some notes. And are you willing to make changes? That kind of thing. You'll get that from any acquiring editor. They will always give you an editorial letter, a long editorial letter with all kinds of suggestions, usually for how to make the book a lot better. And usually they're right. Um, I mean, obviously there's a lot of pride that goes into this. They're, at some point, you do set yourself aside and like, this is a collaboration at this point. Someone else is staking their career and their money and their time on this. And how much of the artist in you is okay with being the business person in you? Um, so, um, so then the advances. Uh, so I have here literally, don't quit your day job. Uh, what are the range of advances? Please don't quit your day job. That, whenever a client says that to me after I've made them a book deal, my blood runs cold. It, it should be part of the, it should be my agency agreement with them, my author agency agreement, that they will not quit their day job. Uh, anyway, but yeah, it's up to me to get you the best possible advance. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll always come in low, low ball in you, as you expect them to. It's up to me to try to get it as high as I possibly can, within reason. So from their point of view, an advance is a chunk of money they're going to give you for the book. That advance lasts until a certain number of sales, meaning you don't make additional money, or otherwise known as royalties, until you have earned out that advance. Yeah, it's in the black. So they calculate the advance based on where you fit on their roster, as far as their budget, as well as how much they're going to devote to marketing and advertising. Well, probably not advertising, but marketing. Uh, and obviously, um, there's a difference between advertising and marketing. Uh, I don't know if we'll get into that, but that's something you should all be aware of. Um, or publicity and marketing, or this, should I say. Publicity and marketing. Um, but again, how, how much your advance is, even at a traditional publisher, if it's low, that is a representation of how much attention they will give. So if you get a $100,000 advance, which is anything six figures is, is a, the best deal you're going to get. But you can't always assume that you're going to get great marketing support from a six-figure advance. Right. But you surprised how, how many books are just spat out there that have huge advances. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. Uh, but, um, but so just kind of keep that in mind uh, of importance. Um, and then... And, and also, part of my job is to get you the best possible royalties. Most royalties are, are, are pretty much fixed. But for example, some companies give the royalties on net and some on cover price. And when they do it just on net, it's usually about half as much as, as the author's gonna get if they do it on cover price. It's the bigger ones, of course, that do cover price, list price. The smaller ones do net. Um, in cases like that, what I often try to do is to get different escalations. In other words, it's usually you know, five thousand first five thousand books, X percentage of, of the royalties, ten thousand, and then above that. And I will try to see if I can lower those escalation points 
so that the author will see more money sooner. Uh, so that's definitely a thing to keep in mind. As, so let's talk about the overall contract. So obviously included in that is the advance and how those are paid. Uh, advanced payments are typically made in how many installments? Uh, it depends. Um, most of the big five, if, you're, if, if your advance is over 60000 they're insisting on doing it as a four-part advance, with the last part being paid, believe it or not, a year after the book comes out. How that qualifies as an advance, I do not know. So, you know some people call it the paperback payment, but there isn't always a guarantee that you get a paperback. Uh, Anyway, uh, it used to be two-part advances, and some of the smaller companies still do two-part advances uh, for signing and then delivery and acceptance. Um, then it became three parts, signing, delivery and acceptance, and publication. And now, as I say, with the big ones, for the bigger advances, it's a four-part payout. Uh, exactly, and then... Um, and that's cast in stone, by the way. They're not, not gonna budge on that. What I do try to do is see if we can at least front-load those four-part advances so that they get more money up front for the earlier advances and the last one is, is a lesser amount. So also the contract includes the royalty structure, as you mentioned. So um, royalties, if your book, it, it will also state, listen, we're putting this out in hardcover. If it hits a certain amount, maybe they don't do paperback or maybe they don't do hardcover. Um, so as your questions, you know, you need to ask yourself, like, I've got a publishing deal. They only do paperback. I always wanted a hardcover. Is this for me? Like, that, that's, a, that's a question. I'll tell you right now, hardcovers feel real great. You feel like a big time author. But on the other hand, they're more expensive. Yeah. And you, you're, you're like 30 bucks, whereas everybody else is like, my paperback's 15. You're like, well, you might sell twice as many. Right. Uh, bookstores may not shelve as many. Um, so, something to keep in mind, again, about your own ego. So, ebooks in addition, royalties, yes. Where do audio fit in this? Audio books are now part and parcel of. Just about every contract for, for the majors, at least. Yeah. So the majors those either, either have their own audiobook publishing company or they have agreements with other audiobook publishing companies. Yes, they license it out. So you're negotiating at the same time for audiobooks? Negotiating at the same? And you're negotiating at the same time all of these, the we, paperback? Yes. The, the audiobook usually is pretty much set at 50%. They usually don't want to deviate from that. I, I, I try to get that to happen, but they, they usually give it a 50%. Sometimes I can get it to 60, 40. When dealing with a smaller press or medium-sized press, though, that's definitely wiggle room for you. So if it's a smaller advance and you know people can do it better or maybe sell the audio, the author wants to retain the audiobook rights, then those are line items that Eric can cross out in negotiations. All of that is part of the contract. Yes, it all has to be covered. Yeah. Yes. Today, what rights can you exclude, if any? Like, are they buying, you know, film, TV, theatrical? Okay. Definitely. If I want to hold, on, I always want to hold on to those. Yeah. And uh, international, uh, non non English. That yeah, certainly you can work out the deal for for whether it's world or world English, etc. And that will probably affect the level of the advance. Um, the, uh, and then uh, what they call commercial and merchandising rights we hang on to in case there's any of that that comes out. Yeah. Have you seen in current negotiations any AI clauses? Are, are we adding AI? No, we're going to start seeing those very, very soon. Great. Yeah. Yeah. What would they... Sorry. Uh, 
Yes, what would they be? What would AI rights be? Uh, it would just be language that would say, in no way can this work be um, repurposed for a, by AI or edited by AI or used it's as a We're still working so we'll we'll all that out. Yeah. yeah, we don't need to exploit that. Yeah. Yeah. It's real fast. Yes. Angela, did you sign? Yeah. Um, so if you, for a book publisher who goes for a $100,000 advance, how much do they extrapolate and think they're going to earn from it? Like what overall percentage do they anticipate or hope is what they're giving to you versus what they'll make? Well, I can't answer that question specifically because I think that would vary from publisher to publisher and, 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 and what they expend on, on the book. But they do do what they call the P&L statement, the profit and loss. Hmm. And that is what they base their offer on. On you know how much they think this book will actually earn for them, and you know again that's where I try to get a higher advance usually, but they're working off this P and L statement. Okay. Yeah, there. Yes. Suppose they give you an advance of ten thousand dollars, and you're, you don't sell enough books to earn that advance. Do you have to return the money? No, you don't have to return the money. <laughs> However, you you know you do still work as an author on your own to be like, listen, I'm at this event, I got 20 books. You know, like, you're still working towards that advance, maybe for years, maybe not, hopefully. Oh, yeah, sorry. If, if you um, work to sell a book, um, you submit it and, and they take it, you go through the whole negotiation, and then you have, the author has a second book in the series. Do you start over with the negotiations, or does that negotiation stick for all the books in that series? It depends on the original, the original deal. Some publishers will want a two, even a three book deal if they know it's going to be a series. So, and, and then there's uh, usually an option clause, right? There is often an option clause. Sometimes I'm able to strike that, depending on the publisher, but they always want to be the first to be able to see the next, see and consider the next book. Uh, sometimes they, more than not, in their language, in the contract, um, they will not let the authors submit the next book until three to six months after publication of the first one, which is terrible, and which I always get changed. You know, you, an author should not have to wait that long. Yeah. What's a typical mix of sales nowadays, print versus digital? Digital is, did not turn out to be quite as big a thing as I thought it would be. I think that. Of course, it depends on the genre, too. There are a lot of, say, mystery fans that get a lot downloaded. Right, and part of that is, you know, digital, you can always down price. Um, you know, once, once it's made, if, if, you're, if your ebook for some reason, is listed at, like, $15, you can, see, you can call the publisher and be like, hey, for this month, could that be $1.99? And, you know, all of a sudden, you, know, you got to advertise that. You can move a couple hundred more units. What you don't get in traditional publishing is the ability to do that yourself. So that is one of the, the strengths of uh, indie and hybrid publishing, is that in that case, you're probably in charge of the Kindle platform your own. You can, if you have a series, you can be like, first one's free, second one's a dollar, the third one's a dollar, and the new one is 12. You know, like, that's where that kind of, not to go back to that, but that is where the strengths of uh, Indian hybrid publishing are. Um, yes. Uh, just to make it simple for myself, I heard you say, uh, the advance, first of all, what is an average advance, 
right? I know there is no average advance. Right, I know it's not apple to apple, but if you get $10,000, it's like, yay, that's a good deal, or no, they just try to... Publishers, market, uh, Publishers Weekly and Publishers Marketplace actually have a scale of what the numbers, what they refer to as advances, and it's like a fair... A nice, fair, nice deal is the first, and yeah. good deal, and so yeah, so they're like up to five thousand, up to ten thousand, up to fifty thousand, up to a hundred thousand, and then beyond. And then you said the lower you get, also that's how they're gonna invest in your publishing and marketing. It does seem to be true. Okay. But the lower you get, the more likely you are to earn out your advance. Say it again. Well, the lower you are, the lower your advance you get, then the less. High, the, the hurdle to earn out your advance is lower, which means you could get to your, you could start getting royalties much faster than someone with double that advance. Okay, uh, so they kind of tell you up front, this is what we think we'll sell, that's what, that's what we think you will sell, this is how we're gonna make money out of you. Anything beyond that, you'll get a dollar ninety-nine. Yeah, okay. yeah, and you'll get quarter, you'll get, uh, what is it, biannual? Um, you get, you see, usually biannual statements. What biannual. percentage of books are out? <laughs> oh, very small. That's a dirty, one of the many dirty little secrets of this industry. Very few books actually earn out. Yeah. Especially the ones with the higher advances. Earn out means, and if you don't earn out, it's a black mark on you. It can be. Um, well, wait a so that's how the advance is low. Yeah. Are royalties uh, significant or are they small? What, what type of percentage would a, uh, a royalty look like? Well, as I say, royalties traditionally go, it from, they start at 10 for a hardcover. Start at 10. 10 percent? 10 percent, sorry, for hardcover. They go for the first 5,000, say, and then 12 and a half for the next 5,000, 15 percent thereafter. That's the basic. Sometimes that can be worked depending on the publisher. But usually if it's a major publisher, it's one of the big fives, that's, those are the escalations. All right, so that's an overview on the contract. Uh, we, you know, to get into the minutia, we, we have to uh, eventually cut other stuff. So we're gonna keep moving it, that's all right. But if you obviously hit us up afterwards uh, with additional contract questions, because uh, I'm sure that'll occur to you. It's half an hour right now, you know, 11.30, yeah. So we're gonna go through this like a freight train. Great train. So um, now we're just going to talk about working with uh, editors from the author's point of view. Um, so when you sign that deal and um, and all that happens, they're going to set some deadlines. Um, so they're going to set a deadline for their first revision. I mean, yeah. Well, the deadline for the for, for submission for, for submission of the complete manuscript. Right. So they'll give you the editorial letter uh, with all of the notes, um, and then they will give you a deadline for that. Um, they will also give you. Generally, they give you a release date. Yes, and that is something that's flexible, and that sometimes changes. But yes, they, they aim it for um, season. They aim it seasonally, like, like you know, fall twenty twenty three. Yeah. Yeah. Think of think of um, traditional publishers like movie studios. They are plotting their next year and a half at all times, yeah. and they're like, oh, well, we have a big action thriller for this season, so we're also doing our independents, our lowers. Um, so, they, so yeah, again, I think when I signed my deal, I think it was like, you'll be out in March 2019, and it was probably 2017, 2018, somewhere in there. Um, 2017. So, yeah, I think it's 2017. So um, in my case, I also had a deadline of, so I had the submission of, of the original draft, but I also had a deadline for the second book in the series. 
Um, so that's you know, something to keep in mind. Is like, oh, and also, could you guys, could you raise your platform in this time? And could you do all this stuff and start the marketing and do all these things? Could you get the marketing team what they need? And, and, and we're gonna work on the cover. So there's a lot of stuff within those deadlines. You're not all of a sudden just doing your notes. Like you're now kicking into the other part of the business. And one thing that I always tell my clients is that the minute you sign your contract with the publisher is the minute you should start thinking about promotion and what you can do promotionally and how you can help sell copies of the book. Yeah, and uh, so also in this time, with working with the editors, uh, so they're gonna do that developmental impasse, and then after that, there will be a uh, like a, cop a layout slash copy edit, um, where you know, great, you we, we're happy with the we're happy with the ending. Uh, Trey um, Trey's an example of a major edit after after a purchase. Um, Trey's book, The Protectors, came out, and what did the editor want you to do? Yeah, when I um, when I sent the book in, it was about ninety two thousand words. And um, I was on vacation when the editor's first run through came back to me. And he emailed me and he said, hey, um, don't freak out. <laughs> he said, I, I know you're going to because everyone does. But I'm just going to tell you, there's going to be a lot of red in it. And he's like, this is what happens. They all look like this. Yours is no different than anyone else's. I know that all of these things I have just said will not matter and you will freak out. <laughs> and then I got the notes and I freaked out because you look at them and say, wait, did they even like the book? <laughs> and by the time it was over, it had gone from 92,000 to 99,000. So and did the third act change? Yes, third act change. They, they wanted him to make a fundamental change to right. the ending of the book. Yeah, it's, it's not like, my worry when I got the notes was going to be something like, please add subtext to the relationship on page 186. Like, you know, some nonsense that I didn't even understand. No, it was, I want this relationship to not resolve until the third act. I want these characters to have more conflict through this, through this section. They were major things that required entire new scenes. And, and I think like an additional chapter. But it made it so much better. And I couldn't see that until the editor had made me do the work. Yeah, and this is where that author ego comes in about knowing yourself of like, are you good with criticism now? You know, like if you're good with criticism now and you reach out to beta readers in the rough draft process and you take in what they say, if you're that person, you're probably gonna be fine with the major edits. Like there's that, there's always that artist side of you, and you just need to be aware of, of where, when you're like, no, I'm Cormac McCarthy, I'm not changing a thing. Like, you can take it or the deal's off. If you wanna be that person and ruin your career, you can be, you have to be Cormac McCarthy to draw that line. Um, keeping in mind that Cormac McCarthy, while widely uh, you know, revered, uh, was very penniless throughout the 70s and 80s. You know? so, um, so there's that, there's that edit, there's the layout edit, which is literally where it is laid out like it will be in the book with the fonts and everything. You can make some tweaks if you'd like to the fonts and obviously technology is allowing cooler stuff, layout stuff. Oh, text messages should appear like this, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, there also might be a copy editor who's like, well, this isn't proper grammar. And you're like, well, this is dialogue. So you can actually push back. You are allowed to push back where things 
that, that's one thing that maybe debut authors don't know, is like, what is it, STET? Is that STET? STET, S-T-E-T, which is an old copy uh, note, but I don't even remember what it means. It means it's, it, it goes to go back to, it, it stands, it goes back to your original idea. I'm sorry, I know what it means. I don't know what S-T-E-T is short for. But, um, I would, it's the word in Latin. It's oh, great. It's the Latin word. Okay. Thank you. See, there it is. Um, but you are allowed to push back on stuff. And it, it's just a matter. Because, again, that copy editor might just be a freelance who doesn't, who the editors don't even know, depending on the size of, of the publisher. Yes, sir. You can get into minor negotiations with your editor. At, like, at one point, he said, look, I'm going to give you one douchebag and one motherfucker. You can... Put those anywhere you want, but you only get one of each. Yeah. I, I begrudgingly said yes, but I mean, there is give and take. Yeah, and that was the title of the book. Yeah. yeah. I, I said times two. Um, okay, so then you also, at the same time you're doing your edits, um, you're working with publicity and marketing. And like Eric said, they, that's the time, the start. Um, in my case, uh, they came back with right away, like the, my series features a female protagonist and dealt with some, uh, with like a 70% point of view, and then a male uh, protagonist, a male helper, um, for 30% point of view. Uh, but it also dealt with some issues that um, I ne necessarily, like sexual assault, that I did not have agency over. I did very heavily reach out to beta readers ahead of time, uh, including some of the wonderful people here, who gave great notes, so that I, again, never claimed agency over that. But that was an issue where they said, hey, what would you feel about a pen name? So first of all, my last name is Thoming, which we probably mispronounced. It's T-H-O-E-M-I-N-G, uh, and, and my first name is Norm. They're like, what would you think about a pen name? A lot of people, they, they've specifically said something gender neutral. They didn't mean, do you want a false identity uh, where you're a woman? But they did say, listen, we think, obviously your picture is gonna be on the book, uh, your picture is gonna be on the website, so like, but they did say, would you consider a gender-neutral name? And we said, good. And Eric said, well, what do you think? And I said, yeah, sure. Because again, I, maybe because I come from the Hollywood side where like credits of, like, you know, written by is like 10 different people, and, but really it's one negotiated credit. Like I didn't necessarily mind that. I wanted the book to be made. Uh, and I wanted the book to be read. So, uh, we did it. It was almost like picking a band name, you know, like my wife and I are just, we went through all these variations of what we believed were gender neutral names. We also did combinations of like my first and last initials or like N.T. Edwards because my last name is Edward or I used her last name. Um, and we kind of listed them all. And then we cross-referenced those against criminals and sexual predators um, and other authors, obviously, um, to make sure that they didn't exist or they, you know, they weren't real people. And then we came up with three and sent them back to them. And they said, we like August Norman. And I do too, because at the end of the day, uh, my name's still in it, Norm is still in there. It's six letters on top of six letters, which I think stacks nicely um, when it, you know, visually on a, on a cover or on a spine. But that did mean I had to create an entire platform, uh, meaning I already had social media as me, and I had a certain number of friends, uh, friends and family, but I had to create a mailing list. Uh, authors, as, as email importance dwindles, uh, author email lists are still very important, so start a mailing list uh, as soon as you can. That is, these are people who have signed up at events, or my friends, or you do mailing list shares, like invites with other authors, but the most direct sales you have will be from people who have willingly signed up to follow you. And 
the best contact with that, especially like cozy mysteries, but um, like in various formats, is a mailing list. You do it maybe, you do it as much as you're comfortable doing it, but you do it maybe monthly, you don't overdo it, you let them know about sales, you let them know about new things if you have accomplishments, you tell them things about the Santa Barbara Writers Conference or things you're excited about, you show them your puppies, you know, whatever you think, whatever you feel comfortable sharing and whatever you think engages your reader. Um, also at the same time, you're building your platform. So obviously then social media, I mean, to, for me to talk about it today would be stupid because by tomorrow it'll be done. I'm not 20, I don't, you know, the kids lead social media and always will. Um, so it's, social media, the best advice I could ever give on that is, it's what you feel comfortable, it's where you feel comfortable interacting with people. So don't be on LinkedIn if you're not on LinkedIn. Don't, which again, LinkedIn's mostly for people looking for jobs. Um, but like Twitter, I hate what Twitter has done to the world and I especially hate it now. So I maybe tweeted four times in love my life. Um, so I won't go back on it. What yeah. do you do to build your platform? Uh, I did a lot of uh, Instagram when it was cool. Um, that is, Instagram then was purchased by Facebook. So a lot of, for a long time, Instagram was a really good way for authors to reach uh, readers. The whole Bookstagram uh, phenomenon um, was very good. Meaning there was a lot of authors helping authors. There were a lot of people following Bookstagram, getting reviews. So uh, if you're not familiar, Bookstagram, if it's still is current, uh, if it's still important, is, is a, first of all, it's a hashtag on Instagram. Um, but it's, Bookstagrammers became influencers of their own. And those are people with, I don't know, five to 10,000 to hundreds, hundreds of thousands of followers who review books online. They're, they're, book, they're book reviewers. And um, what happens is the traditional publishers, they'll send out 200 ARCs, uh, meaning advanced reader copies, and they will send them to Bookstagrammers. So these people get thousands of free books a year, and if they have a lot of followers, they'll review them, they'll five-star them, they'll four-star them, uh, they, they will build that that way. So obviously the more you can connect with those people by not being, you know, not like, also my book's available, don't do that, but like interact with them. I reached out, I specifically reached out to bookstagrammers who read thrillers who had only around 10,000 followers. So I didn't go after the majors, I went after the up and coming. Um, and those people, I sent them my own arcs, I sent them my own uh, author copies I didn't even have, sometimes I tried to have the marketing department or the publicity department of the publisher do it. But if they hesitated at all, I sent my own copies. Uh, and those people, I still have relationships with. Like those people still are the first to check out my stuff. Um, even more recent TikTok, obviously TikTok, uh, there's a whole a book talk on there where people shoot videos. I am not an expert on this. Um, I'm just saying, go where you go. Go where your heart doesn't some, where you're not heartbroken every time you go online. You're like, if you think Twitter's for assholes, don't go on Twitter. Don't be, don't be what you're not. Just go where your strengths are. So, you know. And also, in terms of, of boosting your social media platform, you might want to ask a child. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, hire somebody, too. Like, again, there are plenty of kids in their 20s who are, are good at that. Um, if you are not good at that, they'll be like, great. Um, send me some artwork. I'm gonna post every five days you know, for this much money and blah, blah, blah. There are people who are good at that. I'm not good at that. So recognize your weaknesses and your strengths. Also during this time, the publisher uh, would talk about titles. You'll be like, wait, I've had a title on this for the last 10 years. This is the title that inspired the book. And they're like, yeah, it's too close to something else, so change it. You know, like think of, uh, somebody asked me the other day, like, did you have a title for the second book? And I did, 
Uh, for the third book, I just put untitled Caitlin 3. Like, I literally just stopped, I just said Caitlin 3. Because it's like, in a traditional publishing, you may have a say over it, and they may love it. But they may also say, oh, we literally put it something out like that last year. I had the first manuscript I submitted for the longest time, I was calling them The Forgotten Girl. And then David Bell put out The Forgotten Girl that year. And then it came out two years later, too. Like, like it changes. So be fluid with that. Be accepting of that. Like, um, there, and the same thing like the pen name, it was like picking a band name, like, oh, what about these 10 things? So I, my wife and Eric and I had a list, and then we sent it to them, and they came, uh, they came back with it. Actually, the editor came back with a line of dialogue from the book. And she's like, it's coming to get me. I'm like, when's that in the book? But, um, but I'm like, oh, that's perfect, great. And then the second book, that, we went through 100. We went through 100 titles. Um, and even then, it was like, it was just back and forth, and like, we love this, and then somebody else has it, and the next quarter, somebody else. Like, so that's all a consideration, and something you have to deal with, that you should let go of your ego from. I mean, you could fight, you can fight. So just choose your battles. Uh, same applies to the cover. I always get cover consultation from my authors in their contracts, which is the most that publishers will agree to. But the cover was something that, you know, you had a lot of input in. Yes, for the first one very much so. For the second one, they came out with a style that was totally different. I'm like, well, it's a series, so I pushed back. I even did mock-ups, which rough mock-ups, but I love it this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, we see what you're doing. But in some cases, like for an A title or first in a series, they're using their in-house person. But for B, in a, for a second release, they might just farm it out the, to, to a freelancer. So it might not be the same person. They may not be looking at theme or continuity of something. So again, you kind of, like the audiobook, you kind of need to um, decide what's important to you. Um, the reviews, that's another thing they do during this time. The big, the big publishers will then, at the very least, try to get you reviewed by, what is the big four? It's like, um, uh, Publishers Weekly, Booklist, The New York Times, Library, then they'll hit like seven others, depending on your genre, like, you know, Miami or, uh, yes, all around. Um, so they will try to get it to traditional reviewers. That is something that smaller publishers have a harder time doing. Um, they may not be, obviously they'll choose the best from that review, if possible. Sometimes those reviews are harsh. Um, so it, it, I'm, I'm not gonna talk about it, right? Um, <laughs> So the main thing is, you could, you could always cherry pick some good words out of a bad review. Um, and so then, at the same time, they're also reaching out for blurbs uh, from other authors. And so, Eric, how do blurbs work? Blurbs help sell the book. It always helps, you, you see on, on book covers, projectors, you see blurbs from other authors in addition to, it's a later edition. Um, I'm forgetting, sorry. Uh, you see blurbs from other authors on the book jacket. Uh, in advertising, if they take out advertising, which is becoming rare these days, um, they um, they help sell the book. Also, they position the book with booksellers too, and, and with influencers. And so, in, so in our case, the publisher said, "Who would you like me to reach out to?" And I'm like, "Michael Connolly." Um, and I made a list. Uh, and then it's also like, well, "Who do you know?" And who does Eric know? So it's a combination of those. Like I got some of my favorite blurbs from other authors that Eric represents. Um, and I also made some relationships based on that. I met David Bell and I'm like, you gave me a blurb. And like, you know, it was like, oh great. And so now we knew each other. You know, like, let's do an event together. So that blurbing process, and again, sometimes people say blurb when they mean like the book jacket copy. The, the, that's not what a blurb in this sense is. A blurb is a quote. It's a quote about your book. So, 
People try to get them from major authors. We also use reviews, uh, bits of reviews, you know, whatever says good things about the book on a jacket cover. Yeah. And then, um, they, so then it's kind of, um, one of the things I found out with my, uh, with my first deal was, where is your placement on their list? Like, how important are you to their marketing department? Um, and once I sort of realized, like, listen, they just did a, a 500 copy Goodreads giveaway for ARCs of this new book that comes out the same week as mine in the same genre. Well, I'm not that important. So, okay, what can I do to make sure my dream comes true? And in that case, I hired a third party publicist. Now, there are plenty of publicists out there. There are publicists that specialize in books. Uh, there are publicists that specialize in everything. You know what I mean? Like, um, so publicists are up to you. They're like, oh, you, you use blah, 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 who's been in the business for 30 years. You give her $25,000 and 200 copies of your book, and it will go out to all the majors and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, I don't have that kind of money, and that's more than money in advance. Uh, you know, I end up hiring a, a publicist for both books, uh, an individual publicist for both books. Because one of the things that happened between when I signed the deal uh, and the first book came out was the, the, the head of the marketing for that company went to another company. There is a decent amount of turnover in publishing, especially at certain, uh, well, recently. You're a regional editor. Well, you're yes. You're yeah, editor. Chelsea. Yeah. My, my editor, um, when I turned in the first draft of my second book, my editor was like, this is great. I made some notes. Also, I'll be handing you over to blah, 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 because I am no longer going to stay in this industry. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's called being orphaned. Yeah. Um, so that is, that is something that happens. And typically, especially with a series, what being orphaned means is there's no one to fight for you in the meetings. So when it comes time to renew something, it could be that the person who took you over is great. You make a great relationship with them, and they love your stuff, and they do fight for you. But that is a thing to understand that happens, is that the person who was there when you said yes will not necessarily be the person who's there to carry you over the line, which means you're the consistent through all of that. It is, it is your, again, you're the one with agency of your own dream. So in that case, that's why I hired a publicist. I wanted to make sure that when I look back, I would say I did everything possible within my economic means to get the book out to as many people as possible. And that publicist, then the engagement of that publicist all of a sudden kicked me up a notch at the publisher as well, because they're like, oh great, what do they need? Like, they just said, cool, uh, yeah, we'll give that publicist everything they need. Who have they gone to? What's their list? And they coordinated, and all of a sudden, they had someone helping them, so they didn't feel bad about didn't kind of ditching me, like because this publicist took it on. So I got reviews in a lot of the majors, um, and I also, uh, you know, I probably went on 50 podcasts. You know, I did all kinds of publicity. Um, Was it less than 25,000? The, the publicist? I went, for the first one, I went with one for 3,000, and then the second one, I went for one with uh, 6,500. Um, the first one was a referral, and uh, it was kind of late. So obviously, you want this six months. Um, you want to be doing publicity six months before your release, and one month after. So if you're if you have that kind of window, even with independent or self-publishing, if you're going to go with a publicist, doing it the month before your release is a mistake. Doing the month of your release is a mistake. Yeah. You want you want them to be able to work their contacts for months leading up to the release. 
you want all these bookstagrammers who may or may not be you, on their radar, you want them to have time to get through their to-be-read list and their current obligations to then focus on you. Um, and again, a lot of that is based on the publicist relationships with people. Um, that, that, that's, so you don't have to do any of that. And you may have the kind of deal at a big five where all of a sudden they do all that for you. I definitely have friends who are put on book tours. Uh, they are the exception. If you want to arrange a book tour, you arrange a book tour. Which leads me to author events. Okay, so um, this is again something you should be doing months before your release. Uh, you should be reaching out to, it depends on your genre of course, but there are huge, there are some like the five to seven huge independent bookstores that if a, public, if a publisher was actually putting someone on a book tour, they would hit those. Um, you know, there's, um, there's one in Arizona. I'm going blank on the names right now. There's Powell's up in, uh, up in the north. Tattered Cover. Tattered Cover. Um, and so these are things that you can pitch yourself to. You know, like here's the ISBN of my book. Here's when it's released. Here's the publisher's name. Um, here, you know, you, you have the same pitch letter that the marketing department is using, like the same PDF. You, you, can, you can send that to them. You can find out who books events. You call your local Barnes & Noble. You call, you know, again, like, I would love to do an event. And they're like, we don't usually do them. I'm like, I can guarantee 40 people. They're like, when do you want to be here? You know, um, book, a, book a party, book, um, book places in advance. Uh, so that's the main thing about Don't expect the publisher to pay for all this. Don't expect anyone to pay the publisher to pay for all this. They consider that to be up to you because they don't see it as being cost effective. Right, and it's not, uh, you know, ultimately. Will, will I buy a copy well, that, that are Yes, but you also have to stay on top of that. You really have to stay on top of that because I can't tell you how many times authors show up for their events yeah. at a bookstore or, 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 or a, a conference or whatever, and the books have not made it. Yes, uh, it is horror stories. There's definitely somebody's Twitter uh, post last year that was just this horror story, which led to all of these bestsellers giving their worst possible in-store event uh, stories, and there are plenty. Bestsellers who go to a store and don't see anyone the entire day. Um, you know, the, you know, whereas other times they'll fill a huge rooms. I made sure to book things that I knew people could come to. I booked in my hometown. I booked where the book take place. I booked uh, my hometown. I booked in Los Angeles at various places. But again, I partnered with other authors, either who already had books out, or if I didn't feel comfortable speaking, I made sure someone was there to interview me. I, you know, I booked uh, in San Diego with Matt Palomary and, you know, had a great time. So one thing to remember about bookstore events is people may not show. It, like, literally no one may not show. Uh, another thing to remember is your best friends who say they will show may not show. Uh, and that's also the thing to keep in mind is, like, when the book comes out, listen, people who are your best friends in the world may not read the book. And that's not a reflection on your writing, but it is a remembrance to, to embrace the people who do show up, to get them on your mailing list, become friends with them, interact with them, thank them for the time. Any readers who engage, engage with. Yes. Um, don't chase the people who, who you gave the chance and denied you. Like, that's a social interaction thing, or that's a, you know, the, that's the relationship you guys have. Don't worry about that. Um, okay, so, um, same thing, so also virtual events, podcasts, obviously I did a lot of virtual events. The difference between a virtual event and a live in-person event is you're not gonna sell as many books. 
Uh, you sell more books being in the room with people and making that connection than you do when you're like, okay, that's it, but if you guys want to click on the link and buy my book, hey, bye. You know, like, if people see you, meet you, and then bring up a book to be signed, that they are gonna buy the book. Uh, and that's, that's a, so if you can do that. Um, another thing you wanna do is join uh, associations within your genre um, that have, so like, I wrote all this crime stuff, but I had never joined Mystery Writers of America or Sisters in Crime, partly because they had pay levels that were, if, unless you're published, you pay this much, but if you're published, then it's cheaper. So um, the second I had a deal, I joined those groups. Um, and those groups have, depending on where you live, local meetings. Um, and then they have local events, and they get you're meeting more authors. And then you're specifically meeting authors in your genre. Um, when, you know, and so you're, you're meeting people to do events with, you're meeting people to get blurbs from, uh, you're hearing horror stories. Um, you're, you're hearing, you know, inner inside knowledge. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Obviously, I write in the crime fiction world. So I'm a member of um, Sisters of Crime, both national and local. I was on the board, uh, Mystery Rise America, Southern California, as well. I was on the board of that as well. I volunteered. Um, international thriller writers. Obviously, there's romance writers of America for sci-fi. There's Science fiction, science fiction, and all of those associations funnel into awards and award consideration and conferences. Conferences specifically for bringing readers. Uh, each of the major crime fiction uh, conferences, ITW, uh, Thriller Fest, BoucherCon, um, uh, Left Coast Crime, Malice, Malice Domestic, um, they all have awards. And all of those awards um, traditionally go to traditionally published uh, books. And a lot of them are nominated because people know each other. Uh, it's not that everyone has time to read all the books. I mean, there are usually nominated committees. But at the end of the day, there becomes this tribe of people who may have come up as debuts at the same time or give each other blurbs, and they know each other. And half the times they'll be like, oh, they're on the list of five? It's them. They didn't read the book, doesn't matter, and now somebody has an editor. Um, it doesn't mean they're not qualified, blah, 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 but it just means the more people you know, the more people help you. This is a very helpful uh, industry. Like, compared to say Hollywood or something, people are generally very nice. So just putting that out there, be nice, and people will be nice with you. It's absolutely true, and there's, there's a community here, there's a real community, especially among conferences, I find. Yeah. There's a lot of support. Yeah, we say, we say find, be, you know, find the, oh, it's about time, isn't it? Okay, so, um, oh man, did we make it? Cut to the end. Yeah, we'll skip the last two. Uh, okay, so then the final push, the book comes out. Uh, I was a big fan of targeted marketing, so there's a difference between publicity and marketing. Obviously, publicity is people know about it. That doesn't convert to action, right? Everyone said, oh, I saw you were on this podcast. Did you listen to it? No, or I did, but I didn't buy your book. You know, like, publicity is great. It's important. It's hard to, to measure return on investment. So then marketing, uh, one of the things I was able to do was ask the publisher, what bookstores in what cities did you sell the books to? Because if you don't know this, one of the horrible secrets and weird traditions of traditional publishing is that bookstores return books that are not sold, and that comes back out of your numbers. So at first it's like, well, 4,000 books were distributed. You've sold 4,000 hardcovers. Then in the next quarter you're like, 1,000 were returned. So all of a sudden you're going towards your advance, just drop back down. And people can return ebooks. Keep that in mind. I, they don't often do it. I've seen the numbers drop. 
so you can go buy a dollar ninety nine, and you're like, well, at least I sold a thousand. You're like, no, I sold. Like, they're minus number. And you're like, good God, why is that allowed? And the kids do it. Like they see it on Twitter. Like here's a great way to get a free book. You buy it and then you return it. And you're like, yeah, but you read it, you dick. Like it's, it's so be prepared for that sort of like. Ugh. Um, cars don't do that. So then. Um, then after all that, the book comes out, and you do your best, and there's a huge come down. There is a huge, like, oh, God, it's over. Now uh, am I even a writer anymore? Like, so maybe you have the next deal. I was lucky. Um, I was literally writing the second book while the first one was coming out, and my wife was pregnant, and uh, this is pre-pandemic, but the pandemic was on the horizon. And um, when I pitched the second book originally, they're like, that sounds great. And I already started the second book. And when it came time after the edits were in for the first, they're like, oh, what's the second again? And I'm like, is this? And they're like, hmm, we don't think international thrillers sell as well. So why don't you give us like 10 ideas? So I literally pitched an entirely new book, still in the series. Um, I gave them 10 variations on, on a theme. And then they sort of picked the one. And then I went and wrote that in six months. So just keep in mind, each victory is a victory. Do you have any uh, questions so we can wrap up? Yes. I do have some. Let me. Um, find us for after the. Yeah, let me, uh, find me today, and I, I, I will put that Where together. Where will I find you? Uh, well, I'll be in the bar. No, um, <laughs> I'll probably go to lunch, so not right now. But um, I'm hosting a panel in this room from four to five uh, today. The five authors um, panel, the five genres panel. So I'll definitely be here between four and five, and probably before and after. Um, well, and you'll be signing, right? Oh, I don't know if I'm signing. Yeah, sure, I'm signing books also. If you buy my book, I'd be glad to sign. They're available under the August Norman. They're down by the cash register down there. Yes. If a major publisher contract, would you still recommend hiring an independent publicist? I would recommend asking yourself what you need to feel fulfilled. Like, did I do everything possible? But when my second book was coming out, I definitely hired a better publicist because I knew we had just had a baby, and I, we were expecting a second baby, and my wife was in grad school, and there was a pandemic. So with the pandemic, I could no longer book in-person events, and I wanted to make sure at least enough people got the word as possible. So yes, I, I would recommend it. Um, and again, there are publicists who specialize by genre, so that's why I didn't really get into that huge list. Anybody else? Well then, how about a round of applause for Eric Myers? Well, thank you very much.